Sirius XM. Howard Stern. On today's show. Say what again? I dare you, motherfuckers. We welcome a Hollywood legend. I'm putting together a special team. And I need me eight soldiers. Eight Jewish American soldiers. As Howard reunites with screenwriter, filmmaker, actor, author, and two-time Oscar winner, Quentin Tarantino. Aren't movies scary to produce? Because sometimes they get too talky, right? No, that can definitely be an accusation you can make towards me with complete impunity. You gotta be... Why is that? I mean, my characters like to talk. They sure do. Well, yeah, hopefully the idea is you're creating rhythm. Yeah. And you're sailing on that rhythm, and you're going with that rhythm, and you can break up the rhythms and everything, but that's what's stopping it from just being a talky drag. Only... On the Howard Stern Show. Now that guy is a genius, Quentin Tarantino. I haven't seen him since uh, 2000. Am I right, John Hine, 2015? You are correct. Hit him with the high. There you go. 2015. I'm going to do some quick math for someone like you, Robin, who wasn't a math major. Uh, that's... See, 215 to 20 is 5. Hold on to that 5, Robin. Don't let go okay, of it. Okay, I got 20. 5. And then you had 2 because for 7 years I haven't seen this guy. That's no. a long time. It's important for young children to hear me do math computations so they learn how to do it. What I did was well, I banked the 5 do. and then I add 2. Do. Showing your work. You know, because yeah. sometimes, you know, people like you who are so adept just go right to the answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like to think out loud and show you how my mind works. <laughs> I like doing math like that. Pretty good at it. And I guess I'm showing off a little bit when I do those kind of computations. Like uh, people think I'm like Einstein. They like go, how, a calculator. How is, it, how is it you're good on the radio and yet you're a math genius? <laughs> Look at you. You're a renaissance man. You paint. Yeah. You do math. And yeah, you do math. radio. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people can't figure out how to get from 2015 to 2022 and figure out how many years that is in between. <laughs> they, they screw up. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino. And then lost. What's your favorite Quentin Tarantino movie? You're a movie aficionado. Well, uh, you know, I still have to go back to Pulp Fiction. Nah, me when too. When I go to his... His greatest ever. But he did something that d didn't get a lot of um, conversation or or hype. He took the that last Western he did. Right. Helpful Eight. What was it? The Hateful uh, Eight. The Hateful, Hateful eight. eight. Yeah. Yeah. And he broke it up into four parts, I think. And lengthened it. And fleshed it out with other, you know, scenes that, uh, you know, of course, he left on the cutting room floor uh, when he was editing the movie. And it, I loved it. I absolutely loved it as a four-part miniseries, if you will. Kill Bill could um, maybe be my favorite instead of, I mean, Pulp, it's hard. How do you say it? But, you know, how do you rate it or rank it, rather? It's like Kill Bill, both of them. And then uh, there were three kill bills. You're not counting the third one. Oh, that's right. There were three. Yeah, I forgot. Were there three? I thought there were two. No, maybe there, no, were, three. there were three. You're right. Yeah, there were two. Yeah, no. two. Oh. 
Yeah, what? See, Robin, you, hey, you make me. I, I could have been embarrassed. I could have twice then. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm like he's talked about making a three because he said in his life he'd only do ten movies. He'd only write ten movies, and he's now close to the end. And uh, he's hinted that he might do Kill Bill Volume Three, but I don't know that he oh. will. I don't know if he's you know pulling at people's legs. But the other one I really loved. It's two others that I really love. Inglorious Bastards. I thought yeah. was just fu- that fantasy of killing the Nazis. And then um, the other one uh, for me was Django Unchained. I love that movie. I know but, you like. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of Django. I love Jamie Foxx in that. I loved. I, I love Django. I thought that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was amazing in that movie. I was shocked Leonardo DiCaprio took that role because he was I such know. a villain. You know, using the N word and all that. But um, yeah. No, there's only two Kill Bills, but I think Robin hmm. saw or made up in her head Kill Bill 3. Maybe I, did. Actually, I don't know. You've probably I seen it already. Sworn <laughs> that Uma came back again. <laughs> no. You can't. You can't. Uh, maybe when you were fasting, you imagined it. <laughs> you know how people see things. They hallucinate sometimes if they're hungry. I hallucinated a whole movie. <laughs> you hallucinated a whole movie. And saw the future. Uh, anyway, yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to talking to Quentin Tarantino. A lot has happened in seven years. Married man now. That's I something I thought he would never be as well. I thought he Me was going to be a dedicated bachelor. bachelor. Me too. He didn't strike me, but he fell in love. And now he's written a book. So that's why he's coming around. And That's got to be a wild book because before he got married, boy, was his life, I think, wild. It was my, maybe I imagine that too. Yeah, why why do you say that? (laughs) Seriously, I don't get the, uh, I don't get the impression that he was, you know, I guess, you know, heavy into like different women. I mean, yeah, he, he, he had girlfriends. Yes, that's what it means to be heavy into different oh. women, having girlfriends after girlfriends yeah, but, after girlfriends. No, after but he girlfriend. wasn't doing like he wasn't doing a Led Zeppelin on tour kind of thing where you know he's. I don't know that debauchery. he didn't do that. I don't. How I don't do you get know that impression. He didn't do that. I think he was in relationships. I'll ask him. I mean, some relationships can be wild, Howard. Okay. None of my relationships are wild. I, I make sure of that. No nonsense. No wildness <laughs> no. here. This is a no, wild free no. zone. No, no. You want to be wild. Don't be with me. <laughs> Very sedate. And my wife looked at me the other night. She goes, don't you think we should start going out a little bit? I go, yeah, tell me how to do it and I'll do it. I don't know what to do. I don't want COVID. I, I thought still, this do. morning, oh, no, this is bad news. Because the president is over at that G20 summit and they had to test him for COVID yesterday because a guy he met with over the weekend, the leader of Cambodia, tested positive for COVID. Luckily, Biden tested negative. But, you know, it's just like if they can't keep it from the president, well, it's not possible to avoid it. It is. There is, you know. We, we're going to have a friend over this weekend. And my, and my wife said to me, and my wife didn't say anything about, we test everyone who comes into the house still. And, um, I said, uh, you're going to test them, right? 
She goes, well, do you think it's necessary? It's, you know, she's trying to figure out how we're going to get out of this isolation we're in. Right. And I go, look, why shouldn't we test them? I mean, let's look. Let's say they're they're out there. Let's say they do have COVID and they don't know it. They come in here. They give it to us. Why? Why, why shouldn't we test them? And she was like, okay. Because she's trying to figure out how we can be a little bit looser and freer. Right, you and can't not... test the world. Right. That's but what I'm two saying. two people? Two people coming into your house? Yeah, but Why if not? you're going to get out of the house, you got to get past two people. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. I'm not. I know. I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, you're never going to get past it. Well, I'm not. I'm being honest. So I'm, so I, I'm a, a, I, I saw oh! some people, you know, I, I, I saw some people last night and they had a great way of introducing testing. So, you know, they plan this little gathering and then they just casually said, everybody has agreed to test the morning of. Yeah, I mean, they didn't ask you. They just said everybody has agreed. I didn't agree, but that's what they said. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm a little more blunt than that. I like you want to come over. You got to get tested. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You want to come over? You got to get tested. I don't want it. I mean, listen. I don't think I'm going to die if I get it. I think if I get it, I'll probably be in for a rough road. I would take Paxlovid, which supposedly reduces the symptoms. I would. And I would get through it, but who wants to go through it? I don't want to go through it. And then there is that risk of long-term COVID, which many people have had. People have lost their hair. Uh, yeah, their hair is falling out of their head. I had for and, uh, she just showed me on Zoom one day. She could pull out a whole handful of hair. Yeah, I I want my hair. Life isn't that easy <laughs> for me with hair. Imagine without. <laughs> I mean, I got low self-esteem as it is, but my hair at least gives me a little look. You know, this whole losing your taste and smell and not coming back. And the worst of all is limp dick. What? You're saying? Yeah, that's another fucking COVID thing. can attack your dick? Attack your dick, attack your heart. They're saying know, that people... Every organ... They're saying people's organs age at least three years who have had COVID. Now, I'm not saying I can't, you know, I could survive it. I get that. But what the fuck? For a dinner party? For two people? Not to have... I want to fucking... I don't know. I don't want to deal with any of that. I know. I'm stupid, but okay? But you're not now setting up things on a regular basis and saying we're going to test to do them. Oh, I have it all worked out. Are you kidding? I bought a machine to test people. I know that, but I'm saying you're you're avoiding even even with the machine, you're not having a bunch of parties. How often do you see people? We over the summer we had a party uh for my wife and um we tested everyone that morning. It's fall. How uh, that was one oh, thing that's you it. did. <laughs> that's that's it. what I'm saying, Howard. Even with the and testing, kids, you're not that that hasn't gotten you any more social. Even when the kids are with me, we we test. We do it because they're out in you're, the world. I'm not. You're not listening. It's not about the test. It's about you're not still. It's not like you're seeing people uh, every no. week. No, that's my point. Stop Even it. with this testing, you're not seeing people. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> exactly. Hey, you got it. <laughs> you know, I don't want brain fog. Have you heard about this long-term brain fog? I mean, you want to you spend the rest of your life talking like Sal? I see a dime. I, it's, it's a message from uh, God. Look, you wouldn't like to be communicating with squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> Floating uh, above my bed? <laughs> Fuck no. I like having a brain that works. You know, you saw me doing math. You think I want to lose that? <laughs> you wouldn't Marie, be able to do that fast math. Yeah. All I know is you get brain fog, you end up like Sal. You think the United States and Canada fought in the Civil War. Didn't anyone <laughs> tell us that? He goes, Sal, who fought in the Civil War? He goes, United States. And who did they fight? Uh, Canada. <laughs> How could that be a civil war, Sal? You don't yeah. understand. Think the about it. Civil war. I'm an idiot. That's right. <laughs> but uh, it was reported that over 50,000 people tested positive for COVID yesterday in the United States. And more than, get this, 200 people died. And they don't talk about it anymore. They don't talk about it. Well, Howard, let's say COVID lasts 20 years. Go ahead. And... What are you going to do for 20 years? Live like this? I don't know. I mean, look, chances are I'm going to get it because, uh, like I told you, my daughter's getting married. Uh, we're going to have it. She's having a big wedding. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I got to go. I, I mean, I, 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 what <laughs> am I going to go. do? I think you've yeah. got to participate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to walk her down the aisle and I don't know what. I mean, I guess I got to go get it. I mean, just because you walk out of the house doesn't mean you're going out to get COVID. That ain't walking out of the house. That's walking into a room full of a couple of hundred people. You can test them all. Yeah, I know. She ain't going to, you know, I'm not in control. She, she, not, uh, she ain't going for that. For the... Yeah. John Blit was telling me when he had COVID and I'm, I'm not making this shit up. He had severe, and I'm not trying to be funny here. He had severe pain in his penis when he had COVID. He had to ice his dick every fucking day. Tell, tell people, Blit. You're laughing, Robin. That's no joke. I, I'm, I'm not laughing at Blit. It's just odd. John, what happened when you had COVID? Uh, I was just in pain all night, and all the pain kind of focused onto my testicles. It was brutal. It was brutal, brutal, brutal. I had to... Uh, I had to put an ice pack on them. It was horrible. Like, I think if I wasn't vaccinated, I would have had to go to the hospital. It was like that close to it. It was nasty, wow. nasty, nasty. Yeah. I I, I've never about that. Me neither. I was just going to say, like, that's an unusual. Did the doctor say that he's heard of this with other people? Yeah, he did. I forget exactly what he said. He, you know, he said I didn't really need to be worried about it. But, you know, I forget exactly what he said. But how long did the pain in your balls last? I mean, a couple of hours. I just couldn't get comfortable. Oh. And then I get comfortable for two seconds and then the pain would come back. It was like just all mm. night, all night, all night. Mm. Yeah, not fun. The fuck, man. All right. Mm. Thanks, bro. Yeah. And I've been urinating out. blood since then every day. No, I'm just no you haven't. No, no, uh, I see, I don't, I don't even know if he no, really is telling the truth. No, no he, is, that's true. It's true. Yeah, don't don't spread fake news because this shit's no. real, man. He's 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 serious about the pain in the balls. Kathy, yes. go ahead. You're on in Missouri. Hey, Howard. Um, longtime fan. Um, I'm a nurse in St. Louis. I've been swabbing people, you know, through this whole pandemic. And just wanted to tell you a little bit about the Paxlovid. Um, before you jump on that uh, train, 
remember the days when flu, everybody wanted the Tamiflu? Robin might remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's that. It stops the symptoms, but my God, you shit yourself. You, I don't care. It, it, it'll reduce your symptoms maybe like two days, but because you're vaccinated and you have all your vaccines, if you get COVID, you are back, it is just going to be like a mild cold. Like the, My friend told me. Protected, Howard. My friend told me with the Paxlovid, the, he was having real bad um, effects from COVID, and he took the Paxlovid in four hours. Symptoms yeah. were just about gone. So there I would is, do that. There is some good to that, yeah. But if you yeah. don't, you know, have it real, real bad, or you're like immune compromised, that Paxlovid is worse than the COVID. Really? And I've seen one right uh, after another. Yeah, you'll stand and shit yourself. It'll just oh shoot my. right out of your right out of your butt. Yeah, just just really? heard uh, you. I heard you want to jump on the Paxlovid, but you are so protected with your vaccines. You could have your two people over. You could. Um, you know, wow. if it, it gets you or bad, it's going to be a mild, just a mild, maybe a rhinovirus, like a little, you'll get a little sinusy and, but you're. So what do you think? You think I should be going, vaccine. do you think I should start going to restaurants and do everything? I think, yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right up in the pandemic, you know, I'm having people lean into me while I have them pull their mask down and I'm going in to swab and I've never gotten it through the whole pandemic, but I just have faith in all my vaccines. And, um, hmm. and, and people do get it, you know, if they're vaccinated, but it's so mild, Howard, that it, you, we're over the time you're going to be on a ventilator or lose your hair or all that stuff. It's, it's so, it'll be so mild now. Don't, don't fear hmm. it. Expose right. yourself Thank a you. tiny bit. Okay. Thank Thanks, Howard. Yeah, yeah. Love you and Robin. Love Fred. Everyone you, says, don't you, worry you, about it. You, don't worry you. about it. But according to a primary care specialist from the University of Oxford, brain fog is by far one of the most disabling and destructive symptoms of COVID. I read that. Prevalent. And, uh, it's prevalent. Prevalent. Uh, Sal says. Prevalent. Prevalent. So. Anyway. Hey, Chris, you're on the air. Hey, Howard. Hey, now. Hey, um, now. So. I, my wife and I, we've been extremely Enough. careful during this whole thing. And we go to the grocery store, we wear masks. For the first time, we traveled uh, two weeks ago. And we flew to Florida from North Carolina, wore masks in the airport, N95s. We were there for a couple of days, got there Thursday. Sunday morning, I was already sick. And um, I went to the doctor Monday when we got home, COVID. Um, I lost my shit and I am tr uh, quadruple vaccinated. So that helped. I did get the Paxlovid. I asked for it and I just stayed up on our third floor um, until yesterday, really until I tested negative, but I felt okay. Just a little rundown. I didn't have the shits from Paxlovid or anything like that, um, but still have to be careful. Uh, it, it, I literally, we, we, let our guard down one time and i got yeah well that's it i mean like like i was just saying to robin i want to start listen i like to take my wife out to a restaurant and stuff and but i it's like do i really want to deal with what chris just said you know he went out of course i'm gonna get it i mean everybody's got it yeah. i haven't just like, gotten it 
You haven't gotten it because you don't go anywhere. What the fuck are you I talking go, about? You're I worse you than I, was I am. With people last night. Where were you? Oh, here we go. This is the shit she doesn't <laughs> tell me. Where were no, you last I, what? night? I just said to you, I was with people last night, and they very nicely said everybody's agreed to be tested. Oh, so I okay. did my test. Well, yeah, yeah. And everybody well, else different. had been tested. Oh, and that's I what I do. Went to their home, and, uh, and we had fine. a lovely time. Yeah, of course. That's fine. I don't have a problem. I've done that. Everyone's tested. It's a different story. And we I went to a outside. wedding where everyone tested. You went to a wedding? Where everyone tested. How many people? I don't know. More than 100. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe they could do that for my daughter. I don't like that. According to, listen to this, according to a Northwestern University study, COVID can infect the male genital tract, which can include testicular pain, erectile dysfunction, reduced sperm count, and decreased fertility. This fucking COVID, I'm telling you, Robin, I don't like it. I don't like it either. I don't want COVID. No, you don't. No, you don't. Pam, go ahead. You're on the air in Ohio. Um, yeah, I just want to tell you that I was also very careful. You know, I have ugly parents like you did, and so is my husband. I have to travel for work, so like three weeks ago, I went to Chicago. I had to go to Chicago for work. I came back home. I started feeling yucky. Um, I didn't think anything about it because I had gotten my booster on Friday. Saturday started feeling bad. I decided to take a test, and it was COVID. So I went through it. My husband's like a freak like you. He's very anal. We both got the Paxlovid. Um, so uh, I took the Paxlovid. Didn't have any symptoms that that nurse was saying that you get from Paxlovid. So I just want to tell you, COVID is still there. It's still out there and in the world. Yeah, I know it. Believe me, I know it, Pam. You don't have to tell me it's still out there. I fucking so know it. So wait a minute. There. When I said that the president, they can't keep it from the president, so then it means, you know, you can't keep it away from people. You said, yes, there's a way. What is that? Well, the president has to go and do a lot of stuff where, you know, he's just kind of, you know, he's the, he's the nation's, uh, you know, father, the father figure for the nation. So Well, he's, he's got the to representative of the nation. So when they right. have a group of leaders he's got to show up yeah but uh look you know i don't have to do that shit i mean um, oh you're saying i can just stay in my cave and nobody <laughs> sees me as the father of the country sure. <laughs> nobody's looking at we, me we need to see you out here yeah. in the world the country, with us. the country needs to see me <laughs> well you'll see me I'll, I'll plug hbo you'll see me on hbo if you want to i'm sure most of our fans have already seen the bruce springsteen um uh deal but uh Yay. we will be on tv regular television sunday november 27th at 10 p.m the howard stern interview bruce springsteen on hbo and hbo max so there you go that's where you the, can see you that's <laughs> you where you can see, see me. Yeah. If you're missing me, take a look on there and uh, tell your friends if they didn't get to hear or see Bruce Springsteen because they're too cheap to get Sirius XM. Then uh, there you go. Right there on HBO, which I'm so excited about because uh, after I was so jacked up after uh, talking with Bruce and he was so uh, fabulous playing all his songs and everything. And I thought it was so good that 
I kept, I kept to anyone who would listen. I'd go around and go. You know, it's to me, it's just a shame that more people won't see this. I would like a lot of people to see this thing. I said, I know on the one hand, Sirius XM likes to have exclusive content, but every once in a while, we do put things out to the public, you know, free of charge. We put it all out there. And I said, you know, it'd be nice to see this uh, be on TV. And uh, then I realized that HBO is a cousin of our company, Sirius XM, through different people. We have a... a familial relationship <laughs> yeah i could explain it to you off the air i wouldn't get into it on the air but i didn't I put, know we were cousins <laughs> well i put together the pieces and i said oh that's right this guy sits on this board blah 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 blah. Ah. i said yeah and um and i said well hbo would be a great home for this uh, bruce springsteen interview i mean fucking hbo i mean there's a reason they win all those Emmys and everything. That's so, and you know, they do so the good. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all of that. Uh, they yep. broadcast all of that. All that. So it kind of made sense. And uh, sure enough, when I uh, spoke with the good folks uh, like Casey Bloys over at HBO, they were completely psyched about the idea of airing it. Uh, so enthusiastic. They were like, that's wonderful. Let's put it together. And that's when I called Bruce and I said, Bruce, you got an objection to this being on an HBO? And he went, nope, do it. And, um, yeah, the relationship between, it's such a convoluted relationship, but HBO married Sirius XM's sister and they're related <laughs> through marriage. <laughs> so there you go. That's how and it And they uh, had a worked. kid and that's your cousin. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I tell you, I don't know. I, um, I keep, uh, ever since I interviewed Bruce Springsteen, I cannot stop. The Thunder Road is in my head. Like, usually if I hear another song, I can get rid of that song in my head and replace it with another one. But I just walk around going, oh, oh, Thunder, oh, Thunder, Thunder Road. I notice Bruce will sometimes say Thunder Road and then sometimes he'll go Thunder Road. Right, right, yeah. It's kind of garble the words. Yeah, yeah, it's like sexy. But it's almost like I have brain fog. Bruce Springsteen brain fog. Well, I, I've got that song in my head. Uh, I can think of no other. That hook goes through my head. I can't, I can't stop it. And I'm walking around. It's like I'm uh, lovesick for Bruce, you know? I'm like, uh, 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 on the road. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> but I, I got so excited. I, was, I wanted this to be on HBO so badly because then I thought, well, between Sirius XM and the HBO universe, a lot of people will have seen... Bruce at I I believe at one of his finest moments. Oh yeah, you know I just really love that interview, and I love how loose Bruce was, and I love how 
just generous he was playing the songs, explaining and what he goes through. And I was like, oh, it would be so great. I called our agent. I go, wouldn't it be great? Because you never know with our agent. I, I, I go, wouldn't it be great if this was on somewhere else? And he went, it sure would. And I was like, oh, good. Okay. Oh, I had there a good go. thought. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually I hear, I have, usually my thoughts are bad. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So a lot of people I had a contact, uh, I don't, I'm not even going to stop naming all the people who put this whole thing together because I know I'll miss one or maybe one of them doesn't want to be mentioned. I don't know who, you know, well, around this is here, like trying to put together one of those speeches for an Academy Award or yep. or an Emmy. You you who do you think and, you know, in what order? Like, in my mind, there's a couple of guys I'd like to mention who really worked hard on putting this together. And then the next thing I'll know is, oh, you shouldn't have mentioned that guy. I go, why? He didn't want to be mentioned. Mm. But I, would, mm. I, wish I, I wish I knew the right thing to do. But I will mention, um, you know, Bruce and uh, John Landau, uh, those two guys, because uh, obviously they, you got to have their blessing. That's right. You got to get there. Okay, first, right? Yeah, well... I, I wouldn't have done this unless Bruce was okay with it or Mr. Landau. You know, I didn't want to. Uh, Mr. Landau now? Yeah, that's what Bruce calls him. He goes, that's he Mr. Does. Landau. Remember in the oh. interview, I go, uh, how'd you find your psychiatrist? He goes, well, that's Mr. Landau. <laughs> I, so now I'm like, uh, hey, Mr. Landau, how you doing? <laughs> now, how old is Mr. Landau? He's like uh, the same age as Bruce, maybe a little <laughs> bit older, but he's Mr. Landau. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, in the interview, when I said to Bruce, is John Landau kind of like your father figure? And Bruce said, listen, he's not that much older than me. I didn't mean mean it like he's older than you. I mean, you know, when you have a father who's not supportive and you have a father who's an alcoholic like Bruce did, I was the point I was kind of making is, you know, does he become your rock? Has he become the, do you sort of turn him into the guy you'd hoped your father would be? Supportive, good ideas, in it, in it with and you. And also showing backbone. you the ropes about life. Right. That's what you need a father for. Here's how yeah. to be a man. Here's what, what I meant. to do for this and that. And is that John Landau that he has a whole toolkit of, yeah. uh, you know, t just, behaviors that were yeah. taught to him as he was growing up that he can pass on. Yeah, right. So that's what I meant. But anyway, there were so many people involved in getting this thing on the air. And it's kind of an interesting story, but I'll keep it to myself. Because, I again, I just don't well, know. Well, you could check with somebody. Listen, Robin, I'm not going to now call up everybody go, would you mind if no, I no, mention no, no, no. your name? Uh, uh, uh. Doesn't anybody know who should be mentioned and who shouldn't? No, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows. Like there are people so high up at Sirius XM that help with this. I mean, I can mention Scott Greenstein, of course, and 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 uh, and he wouldn't mind. I know that because he's a guy people know. But he was one of the people that helped out, and I mean, there was so many. Our fearless leader helped out, you know. <laughs> well, that was, that's always what she does, actually. Yeah, she helped out. Everyone helped out. So, 
Everyone was on board with this. They thought it was a great idea. But there were a lot of people I'm not mentioning. Who I picked up the phone and called and said, what do you think? And they were all like very enthusiastic. Uh, I called up Willie Fistergash. Uh, he took your call, actually. Willie Fistergash. Willie Fistergash. Hugh Jassol. I called yeah, up you. He got on. You Jassol. Hugh uh, Jassol. Herb Eversmells. I called up. <laughs> uh, you know who helped out? Anita Rimjob. Boom, shakalaka. <laughs> right. Eton none Beaver. Of them wa- none of them want to be man- mentioned. Pat McCrotch, I want to mention. <laughs> <laughs> All those great people. Uh, Mike Hunt stinks. I uh, picked him up on the phone. <laughs> he got involved. Uh... Anyway, I can mention others, but I won't. <laughs> so I'm excited, you know. Yeah, I really I'm I was excited. Really, yeah, I just want I wanted more people to see this thing because I thought it was that special, and uh, that was my motivation, and it worked out. Anyway, uh, Mark, you're on the air. Hey, Howard, thanks for taking my call. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. Um, Howard, two-part question. You're obviously one of the best interviewers um, on on the planet and great interview Bruce Springsteen. But have you ever watched or considered maybe post-retirement doing something like Dan Rather, Dan Rather's interview shows? Have you seen those? Yeah, I think those are pretty good, actually. I like those. Yeah, Dan Rather's doing quite a few. I love them. I see it on the Internet. I mean, I see it like like I'm streaming or like like kind of... um, scrolling through stuff and then like an an interview with dan rather will pop up and i watch it i see them just tooling around you know when i'm just hitting the remote control every once in a while i'll land on one i can't decide like i see i see dan rather interviewing a lot of rock stars and stuff yeah i can't and i can't decide is he because he seems like he's in that older generation that maybe isn't that into rock. And sometimes I'm watching it and I go, I don't think he knows who the fuck he's talking to, but he's doing a good job. But um, no, I think he likes rock and roll. He must. But it's kind of funny when you see him interviewing like a rock star, but he does a good job. Well, he's I, a little I, older because, you know, he yeah. covered the Vietnam War, right? Right. That's true. So he started listening to that music. Mm-hmm. All right. There you go. I don't know. Is it something you thought about doing maybe yourself? That, that style? That's what I am doing. I'm doing it here. What do you mean? Yeah. Right? Like maybe your own show, like your own show on on television, like like he does. Uh, well, I mean, you know, listen, I've had other companies approach me about doing a a series of interviews and stuff, and I go, wait a sec. How can I do that? Let's say um, Bruce Springsteen wants to do an interview. I'm not going to put them on Sirius XM. I'm going to put them on some other thing. I mean, Sirius XM pays me. I'm loyal to them. They provided a wonderful uh, format and a wonderful facility by which we can do these interviews and, and do a radio show and do it without hassle from the government. How would I ever fuck them over? I'm not going to do that. No, that's true. I just thought maybe something like like post-retirement when, if, if you're... What? Oh, post-retirement? Sure. I mean, I mean, I'm running out of time. I don't know how many of these well, shows. Well, that doesn't sound like retirement. No. <laughs> <Post-retirement>. 
retirement. People go, after you retire, will you do another show? And I'm like, well, then I'm coming out of retirement. If I retire, man, I want him out. I mean, you know, listen, at some point we got to have the discussion. When do we stop this fucking this thing we're doing but we're enjoying it here it's kind of nice i mean yeah i've talked i've actually talked to other companies including hbo for many years they've asked me to do a separate show from the howard stern radio show but um honestly you know i don't i don't i don't see how you do that you know this show is the thing and you channel your energies into this show I, I, you know, yeah, for my ego, it would be kind of cool to say I got some other show over there. But uh, what's the point? I mean, why would I do that to Sirius XM? They've been good to me. Well, that's that's true. And uh, I, I appreciate it. And we appreciate it. Just keep up the great work. Love it. Thank you. You know what I mean? It'd be weird. Like, like imagine, like, I, I leave here. Like you and I do the show, and then I go somewhere else, and then interview somebody, and then I, if I was serious, like somebody said, well, "What do we? What do we chop liver? Like what, you don't want to do it for us?" Well, you know, we've had that discussion about Oprah, who you know has a relationship with Apple uh, TV, and then she does Harry and and Meghan for somebody else. Yeah, I don't understand it. If I'm Apple TV. And they remember when Oprah did, as you point out, the Harry and Meghan, whatever name is, Markel, um, Meghan Markel. <laughs> uh, you know, they did that interview and it was so highly rated and Oprah decided. Oh, to my put God. It on. The uh, the publicity, the everything, you know, like it had full rollout. And Oprah did it on ABC. And I went to myself, well, that's kind of fucked up. Tim Cook was saying that, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was. I'm sure Tim Cook was sitting there going, well, wait a second, man. Oprah, we just paid you a boatload of money for you to have a presence on uh, Apple TV. We're trying to launch this thing. We, we put our faith in you. And you gave us your book club? Excuse me. <laughs> it was CBS. The guy's correcting me. Yeah. So then she went to CBS television and said, I'm going to do the Markel and uh, Harry uh, interview. And, and it's like, well, wait a second. I mean, I thought Tim Cook was going to take one of those cauliflower pizzas from uh, from <laughs> and, and slam it into uh, Oprah's head for that. I remember it's like it's like, you know, how do you do that to someone? I mean, imagine Bruce says, OK, after all these years, we've been pursuing Bruce. And I go, you know what? Fuck Sirius XM. I'm going to go put that on CBS television. I wouldn't do it. It's it's offensive. So. I mean, imagine that. Yeah. Tim Cook's like, what 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 do I have again that I bought? A a, a book? <laughs> a book club? What's that? Nobody even reads a book. A book club and I don't get Megan and Harry and I'm paying you millions? Come on. It's crazy. Yeah, wouldn't that have been really good for Apple TV? <laughs> you think? Uh, speaking of Apple, fucking my, I got the new iPhone. I always get the newest one because, boy, yeah. was it a mistake. 
I'm what? having so many problems. I don't know if I got a lemon. I don't know what the fuck. This new iPhone, I was so excited to get it. Better camera. It's doing a weird thing. We got a problem. And I can't get, I even updated the new iOS operating system. It doesn't help. I can't, I open it up and it starts making this weird twitchy feeling. Like it's like, I, I can't explain it. Like you can like a physically. Buzz? No, like you can feel, you can feel, there's a sensation. You can feel it. It's almost like cracking your knuckles. It's like weird. And then, like, sometimes I try to uh, text, and it will it won't hold its place. It starts going to the top of the text chain rather than to the bottom. I can't read my text. Then if I press, a, um, like, a, 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 an app or something, it closes up on me, or it's just really, it's impossible to deal with. I don't know you what You sure you do. got a new iPhone? I got, I got the brand new one. It's right here. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not having that problem. I have... I have I know. two. <laughs> my wife, my wife's not having the problem. I'm having it. I don't know what it is. They have a new feature on there. Do you have it? It's where you on the front when you open it up. It's um. There's a big picture of the Earth and it shows you where you are on the planet. And I, little, I know that's there. I don't use it. Maybe I should turn that off. I don't know. I like it, but uh, something's off with this fucker. And so I, I um. Called my man uh, Matt yesterday, who's uh, my IT, my right-hand IT guy, Matt and Jeff. And I said, what am I going to do with this fucking thing? They said, do you still have your old iPhone? I go, I gave it to my daughter. They, I go, I don't have a backup. I didn't think I needed a backup. They go, well, Now maybe you we... see I have two phones. Now you need two mm. phones. I need two <laughs> phones. So I said, well, listen, how about you return this and, and get me a new one? They go, these phones are 1500 bucks. I don't think they're going to give you a new one. You don't have insurance? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. Insurance. Uh, insurance on my phone? Insurance, yeah. Fuck that. Just give me a goddamn new phone, you fuckers. <laughs> I'm the one sticking up for you with Oprah. The only one thing that it does, now it doesn't recognize me. You know that face ID? Yeah. Well, then you didn't do it right. I did it right, Howard. I did it the same way I used to do it on the old phone. You know what I think it is? You lost so much fucking weight. The phone doesn't, doesn't even really know who you are. The phone thinks you're somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> do it again. You keep dropping away. The woman doesn't eat for eight days. The phone's like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> we were dealing with somebody else. Uh, yeah. The uh, phone recognizes you as a perpetrator. Some kind of crime. <laughs> Well, I know um, sometimes I have, you know, if you don't do it with your glasses on, then it won't hmm. recognize you with your glasses. I, it's just too precise. Your phone's like, what happened to your tits? <laughs> They're like, gone. Doctor now and my phone. <laughs> How many uh, cup sizes are you down now? I bet two full cup sizes. No, I told you I lost one G. It's all, it's sort of stabilized. Funny. Because I'm looking you over. Even your shoulders are narrower now. Like you're, you're well, like a supermodel. Well, that's what happens when you lose weight. Yeah, look at that. Like you're tiny. Damn. Like, but you're petite, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you. I bet you're down another cup size. I'm looking at you. I'm just looking at your your neck and shoulders, and I'm thinking your titties could fit into a smaller, way smaller bra. No, I don't think so. You want to go try on a different bra and come back and tell us? Uh, you think I got a smaller bra in the house? Oh, you don't. I'm sorry. Why would I have a smaller bra? 
Your phone's like, what the fuck happened to her tits? <laughs> You're probably down to an H now. I'm telling you. Uh, I was Weren't a G. You? Oh, I thought, you were. A, I thought you were. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I misheard you. I thought you were a J. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the phone, that's probably what happened to you. Your phone doesn't recognize you. Your, your phone's like, my, my person eats food. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the on the phone is the head of HBO, the CEO of HBO. Hello, sir. Good morning, Howard. This is Richard. I want to congratulate you. You're in the big leagues now. The Sirius XM. It's small potatoes. My left nut is bigger than those satellites. In other words, together. We're going to crush Netflix. They can lick the shit off my shoes. We oh. have you, Stern. What a creepy voice. Yeah. Yeah. And who's that supposed to be? Richard. He didn't have a last name. Richard isn't the CEO of uh, HBO anymore. It's a di- I, I, don't, I don't know. Who the fuck is? <laughs> I don't know. Comedy's not pure over here. I'm not even sure that was comedy, honestly. <laughs> Uh, Marianne from Brooklyn, go ahead. Howard, I love you so much. Robin, I'm dying to ask you what you eat at all, if it's water or water and lemon, but that's for another day. I'm trying to take a page out of Bobby Bacala's book and have a conversation. I wanted you to know that yesterday I called Andy Cohn's show, and I broke the news to him gently that his picture was replaced by yours, Howard. And, yeah, I heard that. Uh, he- I heard it. Yeah. I oh had a call, Howard. I felt like, you know, that was uh, such a disrespect. And they, Jennifer <laughs> Witt, it was, Howard. And Jennifer Witt got her wits about her. And she finally did the right thing. And I did write a letter. I don't know if that played any part. I doubt it. I but, did. You know. I uh, ran into Jennifer Witt and she told me that uh, she really didn't care until you wrote a letter to her. And uh, that changed everything. Now there's a big picture of me hanging in her office thanks to you. So thank you, Marianne. There well, you go. I speak for the people and the fans, Howard. I try to because we love you so much and we're very thankful for having you. You know, and you know, we have another three years left on the contract come January. And without you, Howard, it, the world would be so bad. You give us so much love and light and fun. And Here like, you go. A lot of fans wrote in, you in about see my Christmas card this uh, year. Uh, I did uh, myself. A lot of she people. Do I, it. Yeah. I, I was going to read to her what people wrote in about her. Um. No, uh, fuck it. I don't even see it here now. This must be from yesterday. Fan feedback. Let me see. Yeah, I got the wrong one. Hold on. I knew there was Marianne fan feedback. It was. Um... Yeah. Here we go. I'll skip right to it. This is Marianne from Brooklyn calling in on Andy Cohen show. And uh, breaking the news to him, as if he cares, the, that uh, my picture now hangs in Jennifer Witz's office. I want to uh, break the news gently to you. Uh, Jennifer Witz replaced your picture with Howard's. Oh, my God. Oh, thank no. God. Good. Yeah. <laughs> thank God. Is Howard finally stopped talking he, about it? Well, yeah, he had stopped talking about it, but I think they finally did the right thing. And I can't blame you. I know you had just signed a new contract, so maybe that was the hype for her then. You know, we get a lot from Howard, and he deserves his respect. And um, not that you don't respect him. You do. But Jennifer Witz dropped the ball. I wrote a letter. They put this picture <laughs> not because of me. And I also wrote to Scott Greenstein. 
because you know I got big balls. But oh anyway, my God, you're let so me tell funny. you one more thing, Andy. Yeah. Uh, Howard got uh, permission from Bruce to put Bruce Springsteen and Howard's interview on HBO. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that's great. On November twenty seventh. <laughs> that's very cool. That right. is very cool. Um, I am happy she put the picture up. I am not an insecure human being. You're I don't all. I know that. care whose picture is up. My, in my mind, my picture is up in Jennifer Witz's mind because she just gave me this really wonderful new deal. And that's all, that is all the, that's all the, that's the accolade you need. Exactly. There you go. By the way, yeah. what's with the well? What's with, what's with the audio chain on uh, on Andy's Andy show? show? All I that echoing know. and double. Did you hear all that? Yes, I did. <laughs> but I I was just going to point out that Marianne actually did have a conversation with Andy. She accomplished something over there that she's never done here. Right. Uh, a lot of fans wrote in about this idea of um, the Bruce Springsteen interview being on HBO. Howard, it's so great to hear. That the entire interview will air on HBO after White Lotus. White Lotus is a big hit for HBO. It's, it's a the good new slot. season, yeah. Yeah, I love that show. So they had uh, the first season was so good, and then they brought it back. I didn't think they would. I thought it was a one-off, but I did too. Doing it. But here we go. Um, this will be must-see TV. I'm so psyched that Bruce and Howard will be on HBO. I love the clips I've seen online. I can't wait to watch the interview in its entirety. Uh, who cares if I stay up until midnight on a Sunday night to watch Howard and Bruce on HBO? Being tired at work the next day will be well worth it. Of course. Sure. Being uh, slop slovenly at your work is always a good idea when we're on. Well, people do it for Super Bowl. <laughs> and uh, this person thinks the interview might nab us an award here. Howard, I hope you realize you just opened the door for Bruce Springsteen to win an Emmy Award in the category of Outstanding Performance in a Variety or Musical Program. Um, yes, uh, let's of hope. Course. I'm telling you, Howard, I can't wait for your speech. I have it all prepared, Robin, and I <laughs> know exactly where Miami is going to be. I'm going to shove it right up my well, ass. You better find out whose names you can mention because you're going to yeah. have to do that no. when you're at, on stage. Of course, at the Emmys, I will mention everyone's name. I'll have my, right. I will pull out my list. <laughs> and you know what? I will purposely go long so that they have to play me off with that music. <laughs> Drag me out with a cane. Yeah, you know, at the end, you should thank Phil McCracken. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank people. Phil McCracken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see. A lot of people wrote in about my cat Yoda. I told the story of how I put my cat Yoda to sleep on Wednesday last week. And a lot of fans wrote in. They were upset. How blessed are we to have learned all about Yoda, thanks to Beth's wonderful books, as well as you telling us about him on the air. Yoda's love reached out everywhere and to all of us. Thank you for sharing his story with us. And most of all, thank you, sweet Beth, for saving him. Um, when you said Beth grabbed the brush to groom Yoda one more time, even though he had died, I lost it. You two gave him a second life. I'm truly sorry for your loss. I was talking to Beth about that yesterday. I said, you know, it was one of the most touching moments to me that Yoda was there dead and he was lying there and we were looking at him and the vet gave us a few minutes to say goodbye to him, which was great. 
And then I said, uh, you know, the, the thing that really broke me up was you, you grabbed the, you told me to go get the wire brush to, you know, clean up Yoda. She goes, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't even remember that. It was just like a, a natural instinct because I was, his fur was so difficult. He was always knotted because of that Persian, uh, kind of fur. It gets into knots, these tight knots. So Beth and right. I would and always Persians be brushing can't them. Even when they're alive, they can't groom themselves. Their no. hair is such a problem. And so they have to be brushed. They have to be brushed because they're a man made kind of deal you know they're, they're bred that way the cats like that don't exist in nature and so uh you know the fur is impractical but anyway so she said yeah you know i didn't really think about it, it just seemed natural that i just wanted to brush him one last time and clean him up mm. so sweet yeah that killed me when she was doing that i fucking lost it i was crying so much oh god we love that cat. Anyway, uh, the story about you saying goodbye to Yoda just broke my heart. Someone told me that the late, great Queen Elizabeth said, Grief is the price we pay for love. I hope you have many cherished memories. Grief is the price we pay for love. That makes sense. Hmm. You know what people really loved? Flirty MAGA Gary. Oh, boy. Yeah. We had uh, Flirty Gary call a woman from a conservative dating site, and people found this hysterical. How in the world does Gary say, make anal great again, without laughing hysterically on the phone? My question is, how do you tell a woman on the phone, I'm MAGA, make anal great again, and she doesn't hang up on you? Um, uh, 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 Gary Baba Booey has serious acting skills. Please do us all a favor and post the full unedited version, all two hours of Flirty <laughs> Maga Gary on the Sirius XM app. The fans need all the flirty G we can get, faux shizzle. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could do that. I, there's, there's no way, uh, we wouldn't, um, do something two like hours? that. But Woo. I gotta tell you though, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of moments in there you're going to be like, oh, shit. I, I think it's better if we edit it down. I, I give you all two hours. if I, But uh, here's the good news. HBO just bought a Flirty Gary animated series. So uh, <laughs> that'll be airing very soon. I am waiting for Flirty Gary <clears throat> to fail. <clears throat> you know, every group we send him off to, he <laughs> succeeds. My favorite part of the flirty G call is when he started that atrociously bad rapping and the woman ate it up. <laughs> I guess there's hope for us guys to find somebody if it's as easy as rapping like flirty G. Yeah, I was going to actually do this thing on the air today about bad celebrity rappers. Celebrities try to rap from time to time. I played you yesterday of a political candidate. She lost, thank God, uh, who was doing a rap. Some people, I, I don't know. It's every. I mean, I don't even understand rapping, but do they think they're good? These people. Well, here's a couple of examples. Here's uh, Joe Pesci, Oscar winner. You know, one of the best actors I think in the world. But boy, and a is he guy bad. who won't do anything. He rapped. <laughs> Maybe he was joking. He, uh, yeah, yeah. He uh, did like a gangster. You know, he, he was. I guess he was trying to capitalize on his gangster image and. Yeah. He did a rap song called Wise Guy in 1998. This is Joe Pesci. Wow. 
fighting and stealing don't kill without feeling. So I went in casinos before they start dealing. All about respect and intellect. Only mess with the women that pick up the check. See what I mean? It's huh. not. It's not a successful. I don't know why guys insist on doing this. Who talked um, him into this, and how? <laughs> he's such a. You know what? He's such a great actor, and he's been in so many great movies. Why tarnish your image with shit like that? That's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't know how he would do that. In 2006, listen to this one. O.J. Simpson uh. starred in the hidden camera prank show Juiced. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, you've been punked. It was like, you've been juiced. Uh, he recorded and released Get Juiced as the show's theme song. Here's OJ doing Get oh. Juiced. Everything is juice with this guy. Why do people wonder about my intentions? Uh -huh. Why do people ask me so many questions about how I made it to the top? About all the times I make those teams defensive stops. They say, yo, coach, there's no stopping the juice. And when I'm on the field, I'm like a lion going loose. You better shoot me with a tranquilizer. Don't be fool, stupid. I'm not a Simpson named Bart. I'm not a cartoon. You're silly. Hey, hey. If he did a if he did a rap about like you know Nicole and Ron, I might listen to that. That's something I do want to hear about. It's just about his football career and his rise to the top. People always asking me questions about. People always ask me how I like to kill. I mean, that would be a good rap, yeah, when right? You talk about the people who got juiced. I think it's Ron and Nicole. Yeah, they got juiced. You've been juiced, Ron and Nicole. <laughs> my name is OJ and I love my wife. Too bad somebody beheaded her with a knife. One old day, Ron returned her glasses and then I killed their asses. Yeah. The glove didn't fit, so they acquit. And now I'm juice. And I'm going to cut your fucking head off. Now the juice is loose. <laughs> I had a good career in the NFL. Now Ron Goldman's burning somewhere. Maybe hell. I don't know. Where's the killer? Who could he be? All I know is it wasn't me. The glove don't fit. You must have quit. If the glove don't fit, you must have quit. My name is OJ and I wear black socks. Oops. There's two bodies on my sidewalk. I killed my wife, improved my life. I killed my wife, improved my life. You've been juiced. You've been juiced. My name is OJ. I got a great life. Don't fuck with me or you'll meet my knife. I'm OJ. You've been juiced. You've been juiced. You have been juiced. <laughs> Ever since I took a Bronco ride, people associate the car with homicide. That ain't fair. If I want to find the killer, well, I'll just look in the mirror. You've been juiced. I killed my wife. I improved my life. I killed my wife. Improved my life. I ain't telling you to do it. That's not the point of this song. It's just that I am OJ, and I'm just saying, cross me and... I'll be slaying you <laughs> and my wife. When I say Kato, you say Kalen. Kato. Kalen. Kato. Kalen. Kato. Kalen. I'm going 
Cut your head off, you're so good. <laughs> I'm the man, no ifs, ands, or buts. Don't believe me? You gonna get cuts? I'm OJ. I killed my wife. I improved my life. That's all I'm saying. And I'll be a slaying. My name is OJ. You can find me on the golf course. Piss me off and I'll beat you like a dead horse. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. I used to be known as Crazy Killer. Now I just go on rants on Twitter. I'm OJ. I improved my life. Smacking asses and killing people over glasses. That's me. Number one. Now that's a wrap. That I'd listen to. This shit, I don't know. Why do people wonder about my intentions? Uh -huh. Why do people ask me so many questions? Here's another. Uh, Hulk Hogan put out a rap song, too. He tried that. Uh, Everyone what tried What he it. promoting? I mean, I'm sure these record companies like, you know, hey, Hulk Hogan's got a big, those big, dumb wrestling fans. Maybe he puts out a rap. It'll be a novelty record. We'll make a couple of bucks. I was walking down the beach looking for some action. Had my radio set on a rap rap station. Saw a girl in trouble. A sticky situation. She wanted me to give her mouth to mouth. Oh. 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 There you go. He raps like OJ. Yeah, they very similar <laughs> styles. <laughs> Rodney even, Rodney Dangerfield, who is, you know, one of the best comedians ever lived. Funny fucking guy, man. Also, his movies were great. I love Rodney, but he did a rapping Rodney kind of thing in 1984. Again, he didn't need this. You know what happens, though? When you make it later in life, you kind of want to just grab everything that they offer right. to you. Hey, Rodney, you want to make a rap record? Sure, why not? <laughs> okay. You know, I was selling aluminum siding till I was 43. That's my Rodney impression. I know. It's just like him. Anyway, Rappin' Rodney reached number 83 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and spent eight weeks on the chart. So, okay. Yeah, I thought I had heard this one. Yeah. I played hide and seek when I was three. No respect. No respect. Why they wouldn't even look for me. No respect. No respect. I was an ugly kid. I never had fun. No respect. They took me to a dog show and I won. No respect, no respect. When I was born, I brought no joy. No respect, no respect. My old man said he wanted a boy. No respect, no respect. <laughs> I was an ugly kid, good. always alone. No respect, no respect. Halloween, I had a trick or treat over the phone. No respect, no respect. <laughs> Friends don't call, my phone don't ring. I don't get a break with anything. What's the matter, Rodney? Ah, dead. Where is my sting? It's just. These girls are doing a lot of the heavy lifting on this. All right. That, that brought me a laugh. I feel Joe bad Piscimo. for them, too. <laughs> uh, not all comedians were so lucky. In 1982, Joe Piscopo released Honeymooners Rap with Joe doing his best Jackie Gleason impression. And the track featured Eddie Murphy as Ralph Cramden. Huh. Uh, as as uh, Ralph Cramden's best friend, Ed Norton, I should say. Eddie, you know, right. whatever his name is. Norton. But... Uh, here you go. Norton Powell, thanks for coming down. What's the matter, Ralph? Alice Mullen Pounds? Exactly, pal. And she's the worst by far. I say she ain't as bad as mine. Ha ha hardy ha ha. Didn't make it. Didn't make it. Wow. Ed, Eddie Murphy sounds like he already knows this is a dud. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he's helping out his buddy. Ralph, 
like he's not. trying to get out of the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even think he's on mic. That woman is not stepping foot in this house. You know what she is? Oh, I'll tell you what she is not. She's a blabbermouth. A what? A Keeper put out a rap. Uh, <laughs> everybody's tried it. I think out of all these people, the Crip Keeper is the best rapper. You know, hands down. The Crip Keeper's in the house with a groove that's nasty and mean, like the effects of a guillotine. Permanent headaches, the end of the mission. Where you have entered the Keeper's television. So everybody just make that dash. A dash to the Crip Keeper. This is uh, called Crip. Crypt Jam, performed by the voice of the Crypt Keeper, John Kassir. And uh, the only other well, one Well, you I can understand is, him, you know. How do you make something out of this great voice that, you know, <laughs> you've created? How do we cash in on the Crypt Keeper? There's got to be a way. <laughs> let me put, let me think. Hmm. Well, if we do some more uh, Tales from the Crypt, that requires a lot of work. Maybe just a rap song. The kids will love it. They'll eat it up. That's right. Yeah. Does it go something like that? Something mm. like that. Yeah. Uh, Todd is on the air. Todd is from New Jersey. Hey, Todd. Hey, now. Hey, now. Hey, now. Wanted to uh, call and talk to you about your buddy, Pete Davidson, dating or supposedly dating Emily Ratajkowski, one of your favorites. What, what yeah, are my I thoughts? I woke up this morning and that was the every headline was Pete Davidson's dating Emily Ratajkowski. Well, I don't want to, uh, you know, come off with a big head here, but everyone's looking at me going, you predicted this on the air, Howard. Yeah. And uh, I'll play it for you if you want proof and you think I'm making that up. Let me hear. Let me uh, play this for you. Where's that clip of me saying... Oh, here it is. Howard says Pete Davidson should date Emily Ratajkowski. This is from 9-12-22. Nine is, uh, what, September? September, yeah. yeah I, I can kind of compute that Nine. stuff fast, too. Nine <laughs> is uh, September. September 12, uh, 2022 show. Uh, so here you go. Here it is. I was thinking um, Pete Davidson could go out with Emily Ratajkowski. That, that beauty. Now, there you go. There's another woman. She was just here not too long ago talking about her book, and now mm -hmm. she's getting a divorce. That's right. So, that would be a good match up there. I'll tell you what. Uh, listen, I think it's fucking great. First of all, I called well, it. Well, I just laughed because Pete, after uh, Kim Kardashian, said he wasn't going to date any more famous women. So, Listen, yeah, he will even keep his own promises. <laughs> this dude is living the dream. Todd is right. And, you know, you could get a little bit jealous and go, geez, I mean, why him? Blah, 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 blah. Now, he's a funny dude. He's famous. He's rich. He's got big dick energy. Everyone knows about his big cock. I forget how that all came out. That he, Ariana Grande, I think, said he had a big cock. Maybe. Like, exceptionally large. And, uh, listen, Alan why Grande. not? He's a young guy. But Ariana you're not Grande. addressing what I'm saying, which is, why does he keep saying I'm going to stop doing this? Well, because <laughs> guys don't know. I, You know what? I'll tell you the truth. 
in my short dating experience as a famous guy, we all know about my dating experience before I was famous. It didn't go very well. But uh, <laughs> but I, I when I was famous and I got to date a bit, you know, I would make pronouncements like that. I, I, I'd see someone, I'd go, that's it. I don't, I don't want these famous women or women who are well-known. And then two seconds later, you're somewhere and you meet someone and you go, fuck that. What I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Of course I want a famous woman. Famous women are exciting. They, but, first of I mean, they nobody's go, asking Pete to stop dating famous women. He keeps volunteering. Well, to he's not trying. You know, you ever talk to a drug addict? They keep saying, I'm going to quit these drugs, but they can't do it. Famous women are like a drug, but she is okay. a great beauty. She looks hot as fuck. I guarantee you she's hot in bed because. How come you can guarantee that? I can tell you why I could guarantee it. She is Still someone. Look in her eyes. No, not the look in her eyes, although that's a good indication, but she craves, you know, being looked at. You know, she loves, she even said in her book when I interviewed her, she says, you know, I, I, and I'm paraphrasing, but kind of the thing where it was important for me to be seen as beautiful and looked at. And you know, uh, I remember kind of, that about her mother instilling yes. in her beauty was very important. So, you know, she's become, you know, very, very uh, hooked on getting feedback from other people and what other people think of her. So Pete can go in there and act like he's a little bit interested and she's going to want to impress the fuck out of him. She's going to want to like really fuck like a, you know, like a crazy woman almost <laughs> because of her insecurities. She admits these he's insecurities. He's like infinity stones. Venus. And you know what's happening? Each time Pete gets one of these famous women, he gets more and more confident with them. Now, the only thing I would warn him about is this. At some point, if he fucks so many women and, you know, so many famous women, he's going to start to get the reputation that this guy just goes, he, like he's like a bee. He pollinates and then goes, pollinates and then goes. So he he's got to pull off the Leo DiCaprio thing. You know, listen, Leo stays with each of these girls two years. <laughs> That's his move, and okay. you got to respect that. He puts in two. You get right. You get two years from twenty-two <laughs> to twenty-four. You get to be with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> so he puts it. You know, he makes you believe you're the one. All right. You know, Pete was with Kim Kardashian for nine months. Okay. But he should have spent two that's years. That's a long-term relationship for Pete. Well, that's what I'm saying. You don't want to. You don't want to become the guy who just fucks celebrity girls. So he's got to be careful. But he's on a terrific roll. And um, listen, how could you not? How could you not say? And if you're a guy like me, who ain't the prettiest guy in the world, I say right on. Yeah, he's your hero. He's my hero. That's my <laughs> hero right there. I want to be he's, a fly on that wall. Wouldn't you? I mean, every guy would want to fuck Emily Ratajkowski. I mean, she's a beauty. You see these? She's always in lingerie and bikinis. Always. I think she's terrific. I mean, my God. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. You know, I'll go on Daily Mail. They always have pictures every day of Emily Ratajkowski. And I'm looking at these pictures. I go, oh, my God, what a beauty. Then I scroll down to the comments. She's ugly. She got fish lips. Look at her belly button. I'm like, I'm, 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 are these men writing this? Who is writing this? Am I out of my mind? I mean, 
I mean, I can you imagine? Yeah, they go, oh, she pumped up her lips. I go, who can, what are you fucking looking at? You, you, I got to see pictures of these people who write these comments. Oh, we they're going to be a mess. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, these girls are gorgeous. <laughs> so if he could get her, man, good for him. Well, wasn't you know. she just with uh, Brad Pitt? Did he bump into Brad when Brad was on the way out? I don't know the door? that she was with I read that she was with Brad Pitt, but I don't know that it was true. I don't know. Hold on who's, a second. Who's there? Ladies and gentlemen, very talented Academy Award winner, uh Miss Whoopi Goldberg. Hi, Whoopi. Howard, hello, good morning. How you doing, Robin? Good morning. Hi. Whoopi. What's- Hi, Whoopi, yeah. I just want to say uh, we're talking about, I don't know if you care about this, we're talking about this guy Pete Davidson with Emily Ratajkowski. I mean, good for him if he can get her. Yeah, I mean, that's good for him. And you know what? It's kind of good for me, too, because uh, I'd let Pete suck a titty or two when he's done with her. <laughs> See, maybe, Whoopi, you can explain to us. Like, like all these guys are going, what's Pete Davidson guy? You know, explain to, as a woman why you want to, uh, Pete Davidson to suck your titties. Listen, he's got a giant monster cock. Everybody knows he's got that big dick energy, and that's what women like. And, I mean, he's with all these famous women. I'm the most famous woman. I'm a knee god, so he needs to come over here, baby. That skinny little white bitch, she can't do him right. I can take him. You can fuck, huh? I can fuck. And we're going to do bongs and dongs and all kinds of things, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I read you uh, recently had, I read you had COVID. How you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. You know, you know what makes me feel better though? Every single time taking a hit off my vape pen. Oh, I just love it. Makes me feel, let me do it. I'm going to do it right now. Okay. Even with the COVID, you're going to do it. All right. Oh, go yeah, ahead. My, I got strong lungs. Oh, oh, Pete Davidson, let me sit on your face. <laughs> you're always funny. You're always oh. funny. Oh that yeah, I'm gonna put a yeah. I'm gonna put a vape between my titties and he can take a hit. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got that's big wild. titties too. That's wild. Yeah, who's got bigger titties? You or Robin? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. We we gotta ask Pete Davidson. Maybe he could do us. But Robin, you want him too, don't you? I mean, we all want him at this point. Well, I wouldn't turn him down if he was knocking at my door. See? Is that right? See, but wow, I didn't think I didn't think he was your type. Look at you. You wouldn't turn him down, huh? Sisters oh, he, are getting fucked by Pete Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, he's Robin, one you, of those kind of wiry, funny, jittery, you know, like he's he's almost a bad boy. Right. Now, so let me ask you, let about. me ask the two of you this. In other words, are you reacting to the amount of hot women like Ariana Grande and Emily Raducanu? Are you reacting yeah, you to his? Say, I mean, and remember when, uh, you know, we saw this close up and personal when right. he came in here when he was dating Ariana. She came in and she was doing the whole thing. She crawled up on his lap, you know, and curled up around him. She was so smitten. You go, well, what the heck causes that? Ellie Grande. Whoopi, would you call Pete Davidson like a vagina whisperer? I would call him, yeah, I call him a big dick vagina whisperer. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make his balls a color purple when I'm done sucking on him. <laughs> hey, you were great in the color purple. I love that you referenced your, one of your finest movies. I love that. 
Oh, thank you so much. You now, I need to take another hit. Hang on a second. On Hang on. Some hit. Oh, 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 oh <laughs> yeah, Pete, baby, come over here. We can bang for weeks and weeks. <laughs> How does she what stay if... awake after a hit? <laughs> <laughs> That's a monster hit. My God, that wakes me up. You know what it does too? It opens the vagina. It opens the vagina oh. and the third input too, right, Robin? Robin, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robin if Pete said to you, and he's got like ten inch dick. If he said, listen, Robin, I know it's not your thing, but I want to I want to titty fuck you. Would you let him? No, no. Pete Davidson better, you know, you don't want to be titty that. fucked. You don't like no. that. No, no. Do you, you like that? that big missile coming up through your titties like back and forth, back and forth. And until poking it hits me the in the chin. Man. No, I do not want that. <laughs> oh, speaking of poking a chin, my vape pen's poking me in the chin right now. I got to do another head. <laughs> oh, oh. I can't wait till he titty fuck me. I'm like you, Whoopi. Let's use our titties into one big super ass titty and let Pete Davidson fuck us all night long. I'm like you, Robin's titties are closed for business. Uh, you know, you can play with them. You know, you can. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. But do you like none when, of that. Do you what? like when guys smack them around like bongos? Heck no. No, 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 no. no. These are not I speed see bags. In, no, no. Uh, Whoopi, do you like when your titties are uh, speed bags? Oh, I love it. I especially like when my vape pen hits my titties. Mm, mm, mm. I'm doing it right now. Wait for oh, Pete. Oh, no. oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Robin. Let's have a threesome with Pete. Well, if you can get him on the phone and he says yes, give me a call. Oh, you my gosh. That, she's huh? not saying no. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a no, Robin. Oh, my God. That's uh, cause for celebration. I got to tell you, Whoopi, I might freeze once I'm there. Right. <laughs> well, not, you'll I'll watch. Give you my vape. You just vape it up and you'll feel good. <laughs> uh, all right. Listen, Whoopi, I got to go. Anything you want to uh, say? The view, of course. We, we We should all watch that, right? Well, I'd like to give Pete a view of my private parts. <laughs> Welcome I'll to tell the you, view, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, here's a view. <laughs> Whoopi's pussy. Oh, um, yeah. I got smoke Pete. coming out of that thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I put um, my vape up there. It goes directly into the bloodstream, you know? Pete Davidson, uh, honor Nick Cannon said, how does that guy get so much pussy? Even he like, okay. <laughs> Nick Cannon you know. ain't got big dick. He ain't got the big dick like Pete. No? Not can tell. Want, I can just tell. What All do you right. want to say? Listen, I, I'm not, it's not jealousy, but I'm just pointing something out. A lot of these girls Pete goes with have sort of been around the block, you know? Ariana Grande? Oh God. What Emily are you talking about Radzowski, around the block? Kim Kardashian, Kate Beckinsale. I mean, he's not getting blurred lines, Emily Radzowski. He's getting, you know, she's been married, she's got a kid, you know, just saying. Mm -hmm. I don't know, man. I, I disagree with that philosophy right there. Yeah, that's I mean, wasn't, stupid. Was, and by the way, I mean, what about Kaya Gerber? Wasn't she like 18? I mean, she's not used goods. Um, I didn't say used goods. I'm just saying. A lot, a Kaya lot Gerber? Girls. Get out of here, Ralph. You're, 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 right. you're, a lot of these what? girls are what? Here we go with this guy. This guy loves dick, too. Is that why you're listening to him, Howard? He yeah, knows I'm dick. The block. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Kim Kardashian? Come on. 
All right. Well, I think you want to yell Kim Kardashian again? <laughs> I think it's an impressive list. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I don't. I don't make fun of that list. Nobody expected Pete Davidson to wind up with any of these women. And what Who makes is a this woman bitch on the phone? Huh? Why is he talking? Why do I? Why is he ruining my high? I need to take a hit right now. I need a hit. Go ahead. Right. I think Ralph's jealous of Emily Ratajkowski. Maybe. Uh, you know, and, and you know, listen, he's a guy who hangs out, so I, I, I'm not surprised he get these girls, you know? <laughs> get this loser off the phone. You're ruining Whoopi's high. <laughs> Bumming me out, man. I just Ralph want wants a virgin. All right, Ralph, thank you. <sighs> All right, this, Whoopi, this I got to go. Ancient idea of right, women having been around the block. What, I, I'm, I'm worked up. What's that, Whoopi? I got to go take care of myself now. I got myself all worked up. One more hit and then I'm going to go, all right? All right, go ahead. You got to go to work. <laughs> I'm going to put on a porno and take care of myself. I'll see you. Oh. All right, there you go. Whoopee. Right, right now in the morning, she's going to put on a porno and <laughs> yeah. go at it. I wish that uh, I wish that was the real Whoopi because I like her whole attitude about titty fucking and everything. <laughs> oh, she's up for it. Yeah, but Ralph, with this—they've been around the block. What dude, you're century so off was on he that. born in? You're so off on that, dude. I, 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 I'm not. I mean, I'm just saying. There's a lot of you know. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying you know. It's like calm down, everybody. He's not you know. Who should he be getting if he didn't want a woman that has been around the block? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Everybody's been around the block. I mean, by his definition, where are you going to find a virgin? Oh, yeah. We have nobody we can throw into a volcano anymore to stop it. I don't know. Who are some young actresses that are hot? All right, dude, I, I got to go, okay? Hey, wait, I do quickly. Did, did, you, uh, did you hear all of Dave Chappelle? Yet uh, on SNL. No, and, uh, I didn't watch. I, I meant to watch it last night. I, I saw some clips of it um, it, because it, you know what? It's so racist, and it's that acceptable racism uh, that's like thinly veiled and joking around, but it's just rooted in just you know, oh, there's so many Jews, and I don't get it. You, you know, he's done pretty good in show business, and if uh, if the Jews are running it, he should be thanking them up and down. It's fucking crazy. Well, I don't know. No, I read he all did these. The, uh, I have a lot of Jewish friends thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. I have a lot of black friends. I have a lot of Jewish friends. I got. You know what? I'm I'm being negligent. I should watch that already. I don't know. I was so busy last night thinking about Quentin Tarantino, then Bruce Springsteen uh, on HBO. I wasn't thinking about uh, Dave Chappelle and whether or not he was anti-Semitic. But you should listen. Um, I'm looking forward to Quentin. Man, he's the best. Yeah, he's the best. What's the best Quentin Tarantino movie out of all of them? Easily, and I fucking love it. Jackie Brown. I can watch it. Oh, Jackie really? Brown is a great one. Yeah. My favorite. I can watch it over and over again. And it was interesting. I started an interview with him, and he said that's how he made it. He wanted it to be a hangout movie that you would rewatch and rewatch. You should rewatch that, Howard, man. It's fucking Well, meanwhile, cast. I, I kind of I think it's either Inglorious Bastards or Kill Bill. Uh, they're not even on my top three. Like, wow! I'm telling you, Pulp Fiction is a masterpiece. Well, that's true. That's true. It's, it's great. But uh, how about um, 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 
death proof. That one where he's in the car with Kurt oh. Russell. That's a great one. With who? I didn't see that one. Kurt Which Russell. One? Uh, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's part of two. He directed with another director, uh, Grindhouse, and it it's a great movie. Uh, Rosaria Dawson's in it. You should watch that. All right, okay, and Ralphie Robbie, boy. You, you're you're so right about that four part. Uh, um, uh, Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. It's so it's so good, broken down like that, and it's a little bit longer. That's another one I, I love. That's in my top three. All right, Ralphie boy. There you go. He's naming, I say, name a favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. He named every one of them almost. He basically, basically no. named them all. <laughs> no, Jackie right. Brown's my favorite. Hands down. Right. No, Jackie no, Brown. No. And my favorite is uh, 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 maybe Pulp Fiction, but uh, I, I, think Robin? I think it's Kill Bill. Yeah, but Kill, it could be Kill, Kill Bill. Bill. Kill Bill doesn't have an ending. That, that pisses me off. It's, this is shit. Yeah, I, I do. There's no ending. It had an ending. Kill Bill 2. There's two movies. I it's not there. I can't get over Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is... That's a great there's movie. There's just nothing wrong with it. And All of those characters weaving that story. Oh, it's a brilliant movie. And, and it, he had the wherewithal to bring back John Travolta's career, even though no one wanted him to do it. Well, that. that I fault him for. <laughs> oh, oh, why? Travolta. You don't think so? I'm only great. teasing. I'm that teasing. Was so mean these days, Robin. <laughs> what? Eat something, for God's sake. <laughs> Brings out an edge. <laughs> She gets angry when she doesn't eat. <laughs> I mean, bringing back uh, uh, John Travolta, you know, most people just didn't see it. The movie studio didn't want him in the movie. They didn't want Travolta. Travolta was considered a has-been. He had mm -hmm. lost his, uh, you know, the glamour. The mojo. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, Kill Bill was supposed to be one movie. Miramax chopped it in two. That wasn't Quentin's idea. Yeah, so but your, yeah. your your criticism isn't fair. All right, goodbye. That's enough with him. Um, where was I? Yeah, let me let me do this. I got to take a break. Let me see. You know, it was really interesting in in Quentin Tarantino's new book. I, he's not here yet, but I, I will say this ahead of time. He was talking about it's a great book because he's talking about how he writes movies. And he comes up with an idea, like he's laying in his pool or something relaxing, like most great thinkers, like Einstein used to take a shower, Willie Nelson would drive his car, and all these great songs would come to him. He wrote a couple of hit songs just driving his car. So Quentin, same thing. He needs something to, like, tune out, and all of a sudden he starts daydreaming, and he comes up with, like, an opening scene. I should let him talk about this, but once he sees that opening scene, he knows he's got something, and then he goes and listens to music to figure out what songs would work into it. He hasn't even finished the movie yet. He hasn't finished it in his head. And I was just thinking when I was listening to Heavy by Collective Soul, um, when I write a movie, I'm gonna, I'm going with that song. You've got just the song you know. for the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I got, I'm, all, I'm all done with the song. I've done the hard part. <laughs> I got Collective Soul Heavy. <laughs> I got to remember if I if I do remember, I'll tell Quentin. Next movie, you got to use heavy collective soul. I would I would appreciate that because that song is about as good as it gets. But it ain't wiping out Thunder Road from my head. That's the problem. I cannot get that song out of my head since Bruce played it in the studio. You know, yesterday I was walking around and I thought, "Oh my God, I'm singing a different song because I've been singing the river." 
Oh, that's funny. Ever since he came. Yeah. I know. I, his songs, man, especially when he does them solo like that. That's why I can't wait for this thing to air on HBO. More people will see it. It's just so good. But, uh, no, not fucking Thunder Road. I'm just picturing, like, you know, people, there are people who do not subscribe to Sirius XM, and now they'll get to see the interview, and Screen slam. like some guy sitting in Mary's dressways. I don't want to talk over this. Like a vision, she dances across the porch as a radio play. Royal Got the chills. Singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me and I want you only. Don't turn me on again. I just can't face myself alone again. All written on the piano, you know. Don't you run back inside. Oh, uh, now it's really going to be stuck in my head. When you say the river, do you mean do you mean the rising? Because I think Bruce oh, did the like rising. It. The rising. I'm sorry. Yeah, it rising. was the rising. Yeah, that's good. The rising. Hey, so uh, yeah, Matt, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Howard, man, I had the same problem with Thunder Road. <clears throat> Excuse me. It lasted three months. I had that song stuck in my head. I was wondering if you could ask Charlie Puth. Hey, what is it about some songs that do that? He did, Charlie Puth. Charlie Puth, actually, when he was here, he played a little bit of the opening of uh, Bruce's, um, was it Jungle Land? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 I think that was it. And he did a breakdown of why certain songs, it's the notes, certain notes resonate and your mind wants it to go to a certain place. And he, he did a whole breakdown of that. Uh, so uh, check out that interview, too. That's up on the app with Charlie Puth. He does an excellent job of describing why certain songs move us the way they do like from a technical you know a technical approach it's probably pretty amazing explanation uh sean in new jersey go ahead you're on the air hey now howard good morning robin how are you hey now good morning so howard i just wanted to you know i feel the same way you did about that you know the bruce interview just emotionally just how you know, you, it was like a roller coaster, and I'm just so glad that now, you know, more people are going to get to see it um, because there are people that don't subscribe to Sirius, and there there are people that you know that um, you know. I don't listen to Howard. You know, I'm not into all that stuff, and they don't realize how um, just how you've transformed and become. That interview is is by far maybe the greatest interview I've ever heard. Um, I could listen to that. You know, if you interviewed him for 15 hours, I could have listened to it. It was just amazing. Well, I think it's a home run. I think it's, um, you know, Bruce is out promoting a new album, so it's always good for that. And uh, not that he needs it, but, uh, you know, good for us because uh, Sirius XM, you know, we want people to know what we're doing over here. It'll certainly uh, remind people that we're here, people who, you know, maybe were fans of ours and haven't come over to Sirius XM. Who knows? I just see it as a home run. And. I just love the idea that this moment occurred, and now more people will get to see it. So, Yeah, it was great. I mean, think about how lucky yeah. you are, too. We're all lucky to be in that moment and be able to, because there's going to be people 50 years from now that are never going to be able to experience that live, you know, that brilliance of Bruce Springsteen in the studio like that. Yep. 
That's how I feel. Okay, Sean. Thank you. Yeah, here's it reminds Charlie me Puth. of years ago when uh, I didn't live in New York, and it was before things had the kind of distribution they have now, and you'd hear about something, but you'd never get to see it. Right. And this is more distribution. This is getting it out to people who might yeah. not see it. Yeah, that was my thought. I, I uh, That's how I saw it. Like, hey, let more people see this. Uh, here's Charlie Puth talking about Bruce Springsteen's music and writing. Where is it going to go? So you have D flat, B flat, D flat, D flat, which is just four chords. Where is it going to go? It's going to go to the minor, which is the emotional. It's kind of the complete polar opposite of a major chord. Different chord, same melody. And Howard, you're probably like, where is it going to go next? It's going to go to another... But it doesn't, one, if you just ended there, like your brain and ear wants it to go to the A flat sus. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't understand all that stuff, but uh, Charlie's playing Hungry Heart there and kind of explaining. Well, anyway, you get it. Hey, um, there's something here I wanted to talk about that I read. Wondering what you think, Robin. Um, this is from the Daily Mail, so it's celebrity gossip. But I thought this was fascinating. Okay. Michael Jordan, you know, the great basketball player. He's got um, a 31-year-old son named Marcus. Did you know that? No, I did not. Okay. I don't know any of his kids. <laughs> I didn't either. But he's dating. This is crazy to me. Now, maybe it's not crazy to you, but... Oh, I saw this. He's dating Scottie Pippen's 48-year-old ex-wife, Larsa. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's Michael, weird, right? <laughs> I think so. Michael Jordan's son is dating Scottie Pippen's ex-wife. Yeah. Why? Uh, what, is what that, that? going to be on a reality show? I got to see. I would that. watch that. <laughs> yeah. They even got pictures of the two of them on a beach. Uh, let's see here. Larsa Pippen stars on The Real Housewives of Miami. I didn't know that. I didn't either. She told the crowd at BravoCon last month that she and Marcus were just friends. Yeah. I don't know. They, they look pretty tight. They're on the beach here, and he's got his arm around her, and she's in a bikini. She looks nice. <laughs> Can you see that? Yeah. Oh, there you wow. go. Wow. She's got, you know, she's got it together. Yeah. She's got a nice tough Keeping it real. <laughs> got nice ass treaks. Ass treaks. <laughs> That's like if my, like if my son dated Imus's ex-wife or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. And I know that um, I don't know that Michael and Scotty are getting along that well. Uh, uh, these I don't know days. anything. I don't well, know anything about that. I just that. know that um, after that Michael Jordan special came out, I think Scotty was a little upset with. Um, not give, being given a lot of credit for what happened with the Bulls. Neither of them have confirmed that they are dating. They just looked awfully chummy. Gary, you got information on this? Got a point of view you want to give me? Robin hit it. Gary. Robin hit it. Pippen was not happy about the way he was portrayed. He was kind of vocal about it. So it is weird that Jordan's kid is now banging his wife. 
This guy Ralph. Ex-wife. Ex-wife. Allegedly, it's, it's, by the way. Yeah, it's true, true. They, yeah. they, they right. We don't have any confirmation. It's, it Gary! says they're friends, but like if I would picture me, me and another woman acting like friends, my wife would kill me if it looked like those pictures. <laughs> Adam, you're on the air. Hey, Howard, what's going on? Hey, now. Hey, hey now. Uh, hey, now. Big question. <laughs> hey, now. For hey, now. My wife and I are having a baby boy this April. And, uh, man, the big question is to circumcise or not, man. I don't know what mm. to do. Literally torn. <laughs> I was never, uh, yeah, no pun intended. I, I, uh, I've been over this a million times in my head and I pride myself on being very decisive. But Jesus Christ, this is a tough one. What, what right. you're, I, I never had to confront this. I had three daughters. Thank God, because I really don't know what I do. Now, let me tell you how I feel. Circumcision, I'm circumcised. Um, and, you know, I've talked to guys who are not circumcised. Um, some of them say it's no big deal. S some of them say they don't like the way it looks. They, they're embarrassed in front of women. And some of them say they have medical issues with it. Their, their skin, the, 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 the skeevy cheese that forms underneath there is a problem. Right, There's all kind name. of problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I I really do feel, and I hate to say this because I know there's many people who love religion, but I don't know where these religious notions come from. I, I assume a man made up a book, and I told you why I think most religions were formed. Man was out of control. He was killing. He was doing this. They They came up with religion to calm him the fuck down and make him scared. Right. Because people needed some kind of moral compass that they could follow. And with religion, it kind of works sometimes. Sometimes people start killing in the name of religion. But anyway, one of these stories is that there's some sort of covenant with God that you're supposed to slice off the skin. And to me, it sounds so backward when I read in Africa that they circumcise girls and cut off their clitoris, it's because they want to control women. They don't want them uh, out of their minds sexual. With men, same thing. I seem to feel that the skin on the penis when you're born is kind of perfect. We're born perfect. That skin has a lot of nerve endings, and it adds to the sexual experience. Right. I mean, Why in like God's name would we do something so backwards, start cutting off a boy's tip of his penis? It doesn't make sense, but it's a tradition. And it's become part of our culture. And now women think it's cleaner. Men think it's cleaner. So but it's only here in the United States, Howard. That's right. And intellectually, I happen to think that it's completely wrong to circumcise a little baby. It's ridiculous. And But I've talked to men, adults, Robin knows them, I know them, who went and got circumcised as adults because they said they couldn't take the horrible pain they were in. They had all kinds of tears, and they got, and it was a terrible operation to go through as an adult, and it took them months to recover. But I got to tell you, intellectually, I think it's wrong. So you say, what's the dilemma? I don't know. I talk to too many guys who say they have problems with their foreskin, so why not get it over with when you're young? But it doesn't make sense. I got to believe we're born with a foreskin for a reason. I have to think all the time that there's all the rest of the people in the world and all of those guys are dealing with foreskins. Right. 
And if there was a, you know, just rash of people having problems, we'd hear about them. But the rest of the world is not sending us their penis stories about how horrible it is to have a foreskin. It's uh, so, Adam, I can't help you on this one. I, I, I want to say, and I've said it for years, I would not circumcise my son. But uh, you know what? If I really had a son and I'm sitting there and I'm going, Shit, just fucking circumcise him. You I know, your to mother you. would not let you not circumcise your son. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. My really? mom is, uh, yeah, she is more into the natural kind of like, hey, we're born perfect uh, attitude. Now, she had me circumcised because, you know, back then she was brainwashed. My father wouldn't hear of it. My father thought it was the most important thing in the world. Uh, I got to be honest with you, from an appearance standpoint, I could have used the extra skin dangling <laughs> off that thing. And like, it would have given me an inch, I bet. I, I got so little. I'm not a shower. And I don't like it. I think the greatest sadness in my life is that I'm not a shower. You know, I really uh, don't like that. You know, I always had to chub up before you I was with a woman. You want something to show no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Any little bit. I would, like, I would like to have a, a thickness and, <laughs> you know what I mean? And a, and, a, and, a, and a length. I would like that. I would love it. I mean, I've done all right in life, but it is a great sadness. And I I don't know. I'm hung like my mother. My father had a nice dick. <laughs> my mother had big tits. So I thought maybe I'd have a big dick. I thought maybe it works that way, but nope. It must be my mother's father had a small dick. And he behaved like a guy with a small dick. He was, a, he was sometimes very brutal. You know what I mean? He was always... Carrying a knife and getting into knife fights. I think he had a mm. lot to prove. Maybe he had a small wang. I even asked it to my mom. You know, when I was born, did you, like, think my dick was small? And she goes, yeah, I did. Yeah. She said it. She said it on these on these airwaves. <laughs> Not a good thing to hear. I mean, she could have lied. She goes, yeah, it wasn't particularly uh, anything. Oh, my. Yeah. I used to say to my dear buddy, uh, my, I've known him since fourth grade, my, my good friend, Dr. Lou, I showed him my dick. I said, Lou, when is my dick going to grow? He hey, said, don't worry, it will. It will. And uh, did He just said that to make you feel better. Yeah, he did. He lied. <laughs> <laughs> Although I had sex with my wife the other night, she told me I'm too big. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I do grow a tremendous hey amount, especially with her. Well, that's then the it gets the job done. It gets the job. In fact, she says sometimes, she said, I banged her so hard, I banged her right into her period. Wow. Oh, I've never heard of such. Yeah, that's what she said. She said, you brought it on. Because it wasn't coming, and then all of a sudden, boom. All right. So, so it's a confusing you hit thing. something. <laughs> yeah, I would just, I would just like, like, if I had a big penis, I swear to you, I would pull my pants down now. If Robin wanted to see it, I'd show it to her. I wouldn't be uptight. I'd go rubbing here and take a good look at this thing. Uh, I'd be like medicated Pete running around on the nude beach. What do you think now. of my dick? What do you, what do you think of this? Yeah. <laughs> Here's some guy who said he has a, a bot circumcision, and then I got a uh, breakdown for um, our good friend Quentin Tarantino. Quentin. Go ahead, Adam, in Massachusetts. What happened to you? Hey, now, Howard. Um, when I was in my 20s is actually when I found out. I don't even know because I assumed as a Jewish man, I just was circumcised 
Um, but I went for a physical. Doctor said to me, how'd you make it being Jewish and not get circumcised? Told him, I am. No, you're not. I didn't know. And um, it turns out that the doctor, went, or the, the moil, I guess, when I, was being, when I was born, decided that they wanted to try a different cut to make it so that I wouldn't lose any um, of the sensation. So, I mean, I guess there are people who are trying to make changes, but I, I don't want to be the guinea pig for that. Meanwhile, how is it? I mean, you, if you got a foreskin, I bet it feels good, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know the difference, I guess, but, I mean, it all seems okay to me. I mean, it's just a weird thing. I didn't know that people were uh, trying different styles, like it's a haircut. Never heard of that, but uh, no. anyway, we're not being any help to uh, the other Adam from New Jersey. He's got a <laughs> big decision to make about his kid, and I don't know what to tell you. I don't know, really know what I would do. Yeah, I never never really thought I'd be in this position. I thought in my head, you know, hey, you know what, snip it. I'm snipped. My dad even said, yeah, do it now. He's not going to remember it. I'm thinking, well, I could also take his toe off, and he's not going to remember that when he gets older, you know? I mean, Right. I don't know, dude. I guess I might do it, but I, then I go, no, I wouldn't. I don't know. I'm, I'm back and forth. I'm 50-50 on this. What should he do, Robin? You're always decisive. One thing about Robin, she's decisive. What should he do? Well, I what would, would you do? go with not circumcising because really? it's just the same as once I learned what it was for cats to lose their claws. I could mm. never declaw a cat ever. And yeah, so I feel the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's a good way of looking at it. I told you. She says, don't do it. Listen to Robin, I guess. Anyway, good <laughs> no, luck. You got to live with your own decision. <laughs> All right. Real quick, well, Jeremy. Robin go. told me won't work. <laughs> yeah, right. Some, we're going to get a call in 50 years. Some kid growing up. <laughs> Fuck you, Robin. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. Based on my experience, just remove the whole thing because dicks cause problems. I've been in a. <laughs> I love my penis. Jeremy, real quick, and then I got to go. Quentin Tarantino's coming in. Go ahead, real quick. Howard, I love you for many All years. Right. I, I, I just want to say that um, when I was listening to Bruce Springsteen interview, when he played The Rising, I, I don't know, it struck a nerve in me. Of course, I was fascinated mm. by 9-11, as we all were. But yep. uh, when, I, when I started hearing that song through that firefighter's eyes, I lost it. Yeah, I, that's I, a great. Wow. Come on. Imagine me sitting across from him a couple of inches watching this. Come on up for the how'd you, rise. How'd you keep it together, Howard? I didn't. I cried during what I cried during Thunder Road. I didn't keep it together. I was like, oh, big baby. Listen across my calling. On wheels of fire, I come rolling down here. Come on up for the rising. Come on up, lay your hands and I can't wait for this thing to be on HBO. I'm so come excited. And when he talks about it's a hymn, you know, come that he this is all he could come up with was a prayer. Yeah. When that guy said, Bruce, we need you. Yeah. People say they need me, I never come up with anything. <laughs>
Quentin Tarantino, so much to talk about. Haven't seen this man since 2015 because he's busy, I'm busy, and uh, I assume Quentin, uh, you know, it's just we, what life gets in the way of us seeing one another. Is that it? That's exactly that's exactly it. There was actually absolutely no reason for me to be gone this long. It just happened. <laughs> it happened, and uh, I, I welcome you here. Congratulations on the new book. Oh, thank you, mate. We were having the debate all morning. What is the best Quentin Tarantino movie? You uh-huh. don't do you think like that? Do you look back on your career and say, "This is the defining movie of my life. It's the best I did." You know, for years people used to ask me stuff like that, and then I would usually say something, "Well, they're all like my children," and da 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 da. Then I would change it to, "Well, it kind of depends on when you ask me. If you ask me." One year or one moment, I could say, oh, Kill Bill. Another one, I could say something else. But I really do think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is my best movie. Right. Gee, it's, uh, you know, I didn't pull that up as your best uh-huh. because I find it, uh, you know, I find it almost impossible. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm amazed by you because, and I always have been, and I'm glad you wrote this book because you talk about your film writing process, mm-hmm. which I'm always curious about. I, 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 now, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a lot of directors out there who write their own material. It's like I admire the Beatles because yeah, they yeah. write their material. I, I'm talking about Bruce Springsteen and stuff because I'm right. amazed how many great songs this guy wrote. Yeah. Uh-huh. Most directors, they don't write the script. And they don't come up with the story. They get it from somewhere else, right? Yeah, well, I, th- I think there was... There's quite a few. There's a few directors, all right, that uh, uh, write their own stuff. Uh, but Ooh. you know, there, okay, there's there's directors who are hired to do stuff, and then they take it and they turn it into what they want to do. And then there's directors that write stuff for themselves to do, so they have right. something to do. Uh, and then there's writer directors, right. and that's where I am. <laughs> And you've said it, that you consider yourself a writer first, a director second, but it's almost like you pulled a smart move. When you're a guy and you're not in show business and you're like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to get into show business, it, in a way you say, I know what I'll do if I write my own movie. It's like when Sylvester Stallone yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. wrote Rocky, mm-hmm. they wanted somebody else to star in it. He goes, fuck you, I'm not giving you the script unless you put me in it. Yeah. That was your thought. Uh-huh. Like, if I can write a great piece of material, then I get to be a director. Yeah, well, I, I knew that uh, at a certain point that if I could write, especially like a low-budget movie like Reservoir Dogs, if I could write something that was just so uh, uh, so good that's, uh, that a little company go, oh, no, no, we want, we're going to make this. this is, we're, we're going to do this. And, well, you have to take me. You have to take me in with it, and you have to take me not begrudgingly. And by the way, and uh, um, you know, my partner at the time, Lawrence Bender, even set it up where it was like, "Now look, Quentin's going to direct this thing, so don't even have a meeting with us. Don't waste our time unless you've already swallowed that pill." Now you can come to the meeting and you can be like, "I'm not going to make a movie with that asshole." All right, that's okay. All right, but don't try to talk him into anything. We'll just we'll just leave. <laughs> Wow, how ballsy! Because when you're a guy and you're, you know, you're broke, you didn't come from money. No, 
and you finally write something like Reservoir Dogs where people are interested in it, the temptation is to say, you know what? I'm not going to be an asshole. Let somebody else direct this. I got to sell this script. I want to eat. I want to get into this business. Well, I had already done that with my script for True Romance. That was my right. first script. So I, that's the route I went with True Romance. Right. And Reservoir Dogs like, no, no, no. This is the one. This is, yeah. this is definitely the one. Were there studios who said to you, we love your script, but we're not going to let you direct it? Were they like, hey, fuck you, we're going we're gonna to just pass on this? Well, there were no studios right, involved with Reservoir Dogs at all. <laughs> right, all right, right. It's like independent, you know, independent straight to video companies. They were the people talking to us. Uh, 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 but, you know, it was also kind of a situation because I had actually just sold True Romance. So if need be... I could have made Reservoir Dogs like on 16 millimeter for $30,000. I right. I had never had that much money in my life. So I had that. Now, it probably wouldn't have been in a big ass warehouse like it was. It probably would have been in like some muffler shop or some tune-up masters or something where the whole thing would be taking place. And it wouldn't be hard if you could tell. And, and Tim Roth, you know, horsing around, it would have been uh, some of my friends. But it still would have been a pretty good movie. You know, we had gone on the film festival circuit. So when I would go and, uh, um, and I, but so I, I had a movie as far as I was concerned. Now, yeah. if you want to give me more money to make the movie I want to make, well, that's all the better. But I don't need you to make my dream come true. And so people yeah. would come in and they would have like different ideas and like, well, how about this? How about that? How about this? How about that? And, um, I'd listen to them and finally I'd say like, you know, um, uh, just, doesn't look like we're kind of on the same page. Okay, well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it, but uh, bye bye. <laughs> and we just get Will up you, and leave. <laughs> the the part of your uh, you know brilliance, I this the early part I don't get is were, were you the type of kid? I know you went to movies, and I know when you went with your mom, and mm -hmm. and you cover that, uh, but. Were you the type of kid in school who was well read? You read a ton of books. I mean, you're a writer. Yeah. But I don't get the sense that, I mean, yes, you saw a lot of movies. Yeah, yeah. And that's all in your brain. But I don't get the sense that you were this student who wrote all the time and, um, you know, read a lot of literature or a top-notch kind of valedictorian type, right? That wasn't you. No, it, uh, the interesting deal about that was, one, I was a terrible student, all right? I hated school and checked out. However... Why do you think you hated school? Because you're such an inquisitive guy. You're you're such a bright guy. I don't know. You know why, frankly, I don't know why I hated school back then. Because like like right now, I would I I could go to school. I could go to uh, take a class and go there every week and probably really enjoy it, or go there twice a week and really enjoy it. I think I think it was because I had to go, and right. also it was one of those things where, especially when I was younger, if I wasn't good at something fairly right away. Then I just right. kind of lost interest in it. And I didn't even have like the, uh, uh, um, the wherewithal to do just good enough. I just right. like, checked out. But now the, but the weird part about it though was while I was this terrible student and got really bad grades, uh, I was reading at an adult level at, uh, you know, when I was just being a little boy, I mean, like at, you know, 10, I was reading at an adult level. And in other words, they tested you and they felt well, you had I just a... thought, pick up my mom's paperbacks and like read them. Right. So you, you know? did read a lot. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that was what I did. I did read a lot. I, I was as, um, I was a better reader than most of the other kids, like in third grade or, you know, fourth grade or something. I'm, yeah, I'm reading adult books. And not only that, uh, and the, the other subject, 
unless you had a boring teacher. The other subject that I was really, really good at was history. Uh, now, that makes sense. If it was about just about, uh, you know, uh, what date did this happen? What date did that happen? Okay, well, I don't give a damn about that. But to me, history was storytelling. And I'd seen movies, all right? So actually, frankly, part of the thing when I'd be sitting in a history class hearing stories, I was trying to see, hey, is, do they have a story that I haven't seen a movie of? Maybe I can make a movie of that. Yeah. You know, because I see a movie like there was this movie called The Last Valley with Michael Caine and uh, uh, Omar Sharif. And that was all about the Black Plague. So now I was all of a sudden really interested in what uh, about the Black Plague. And then, you know, I see some boring movie like Nicholas and Alexandria. All right. Well, well now I had a like idea about Russia at, at, at that time. And uh, so but I remember. Uh, I, right. Because you couldn't watch Inglorious. You couldn't write Inglorious Bastards unless you had a complete appreciation for what went down in World War Two. I yeah, mean, exactly. you have to understand that you can't create uh, an alternate reality without knowing reality but i remember there was a a kid he was like one of those genius kids that was in the class and his name was mike gallo and he did a um he did two things i remember he did a a a giant a book report on uh the donner party and this whole kind of explained the whole story of the donner party and then i'm listening then i go Wow, that would make a really groovy movie, man. <laughs> and then, uh, and then in our, in our, uh, 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 history class, my teacher went on for like about two weeks, uh, teaching us about Cortez and, uh, Montezuma, you know, Cortez and the Aztecs. And I was like, whoa, I'll watch that movie. That sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> right. You looked at the history classes like, well, this is a great uh, brainstorming session for movies. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it, like, yeah, yeah, they were, uh, my, my history teacher was, uh, my development executive. <laughs> wow. That is a really interesting way to look at history. Yeah, now I get that. You know, I, I was, um, I, that, that whole story that came out about you, about your mom, and you, you spend a lot of time talking about your mom, at uh-huh. least the chapter that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it was such an odd childhood that you had <laughs> that, you know, father not around, mm-hmm. but your mom being a single woman. And then you had a stepfather and then you didn't have a stepfather. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and then she dated a lot of guys, famous guys like Will Chamberlain. Yeah, and, Happy uh, Hairston. Yeah. Yeah. Basketball. She must have been a stunning looking woman. She's really try- good looking. She was really, really good looking. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, having a really, really. And she was really young, mo- too. Yeah. And having a really, really good looking mother like that. Mm-hmm. And she's dating a lot of guys. It's got to be weird for a little kid. Right. I mean, it's just no, it's I, just, I, I was always really proud that, you know, uh, my mom was prettier than all the other moms in school. You know, I'd mm-hmm. see all the other moms in school and, you know, they looked like, uh, you know, old ladies selling a flower on uh, TV commercials. All right. And my mom yeah. would come in with hot <laughs> pants and, and uh, long, straight black hair down to her ass. All right. And right. some like Levi jacket, you know. <laughs> was it weird when she was dating like Wilt Chamberlain, one of the arguably one of the, the greatest basketball players of all time and one of the most. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, it's almost like you're it's almost like you were exposed to fame. Yeah, well, Which I was maybe... never exposed to it. I never met him or anything. You know, it's not I like he, it's not like he came over to the house and we watched uh, Three's Company together. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, uh, no, he didn't. He didn't have to deal with the whole you know boy at home shit. All right, right. Uh, you know, but I knew. 
I knew right. it. I, I, I knew she was doing it, and I, I, I thought that was really groovy. I thought that was groovy. That would be like your mom's dating Muhammad Ali or your mom's dating uh, Joe Namath. Yeah. But does it in a way, like, you know, you sometimes talk about fame. A lot of people don't make it because they don't believe mm-hmm. that they could be part of a show business world. It just seems unobtainable, yeah, yeah. and people like us don't become famous. But when you see your mother so close to fame, Mm -hmm. maybe in a way it inspired you to say, you know, it's not that unobtainable. I could become a famous film director. I don't know. I I think that's like one removed in a (laughs) one removed removed from the Grand Canyon kind of way. (laughs) Because I knew I was going to be a basketball player. All right. But 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 but, but I I do know what you mean. I don't know if that applies. But I mean, that's one of the reasons I actually think that. Aside from just normal nepotism or whatever, one of the reasons that uh, the kids of uh, movie stars do so well uh, right. in, in acting careers, because it's not it's not pie in the sky for right. them. You know, a guy comes in or a girl comes in from Cleveland or from St. Louis or from Alaska you know, to a, a Los Angeles or New York to make it as an actor. You know, they're willing themselves here, but it's all a big fantasy as far as they're concerned right you know, but like you know the uh uh you know the daughter of a famous actress the daughter of a famous actor no 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 this could happen this could not happen but this is a legitimate business not only is this a legitimate business this is the family business right it's tangible this is a job i this could work out right Right. Nobody I coming mean, off the bus thinks, oh, oh, they hope it could work out. But they're really, you know, you know, they're, you know, they're swinging for the bleachers. Yeah, I remember telling my father, I'm going to be on the radio. And he goes, you're an idiot. You don't speak <laughs> properly. You're you're moron. You don't read the newspaper. You're not going to be on the radio. I know people on the radio. You're not you're not one of them. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was, it was debilitating. And uh, I believed him. Well, by the um, way, you're so good on the radio. Forget about the fact that you're a, a legend. Uh, when I was in the break room, you've talked me into buying a pair of Muggs jeans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, are you going to look sexy in those? Muggsy. Yes. Muggsy jeans. Muggsy jeans. He's like, you, when, you sold me with your ad read <laughs> you know i read this thing about you being on a podcast and you were talking about your mom and you made a statement and i uh, i relate to you this way mm-hmm. you said you know what my mother when i used to write little screenplays and yeah. things when i was a kid and i dreamt of being mm-hmm. a screenwriter and director yeah my mother was brutal about it stop mm-hmm. writing you're gonna flunk school all you do is write screenplays all day uh-huh. and she was not supportive yeah. um in a way, I understand it. I accepted that from my father. I think my father was like, you know what? You're not going to have a career and you're going to be, you know, you're going to not have any money and you're, you're not going to be able to support you. You're going to be a bum. <laughs> I think your mother was coming from the same place. She's like, you better pay attention in school, genius, because yeah, these yeah, yeah. little fucking things. But you, like me, you hold on to that and you say, fuck it. Well, I the, am not going to give my mother the big house. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to give my mother, you know, because she didn't. She was downright mean about it. Well, OK, she was like, hey, uh, I don't want to roll over on her because I said that thing there. And it was it was meant part. It's true, but I meant it in levity. It was a long time ago, <laughs> you know, uh, and then all of a have sudden, you since bought her the house. No, I haven't bought her the house. But right. but, you know, uh, 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 everyone, you know, uh, but I felt bad that it, the, all the Internet rolled over on her. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't. I was like, yeah. You don't get to get a house. <laughs> Fuck you. I, you know, I, I was too generous with my father sometimes, yeah. I thought. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, but the situation was, uh, 
I started writing like little scripts in school. And wow. uh, so I'm kind of doing that. Do you that. have those? Do no, I, uh, no, I don't. I, I have some stuff going way far back, but not like not to like 13. All right. Uh, uh, I maybe have some some of my writing at 18 or 19 or something. Um, but why did you save it? Is it good? Uh, well, uh, I don't know what I'm doing, but the but the dialogue is still there. Right. The dialogue is still kind of punchy and is still kind of there. And I don't really have any stories to tell. I have nothing to say. All right. But the, the dialogue is there. You know, probably like a, you know, like a good stand-up comedian at the beginning. They don't have anything to say, but they do have a sense of humor. They just right. have to, they just haven't lived enough life to talk about anything uh, worth talking about. But um, that's so interesting because that mm-hmm. reminds me, I, I just did this interview with Bruce Springsteen and he said, I haven't written a new album in a while. I go, why is that? He goes, I have nothing to say right now. Yeah. I have nothing to say. <laughs> Uh-huh. And it's true. It's mm-hmm. like we think these movies. I was fascinated by your process. Mm-hmm. You've said, "I'll lay in a pool." Yeah, and and that reminds me, like Einstein used to shower and get his best ideas. Mm-hmm. You had um, Willie Nelson, who was on my show, said, "Yeah, I'd go for a drive," and my mind would tune out, and all of a sudden, I'd, I'd have a song in my head, and that yeah. song became, you know, a big hit song. Yeah, and then he gets home it's, and then starts working on it, working it out on the guitar. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same with you. You're mm-hmm. laying in a pool, perhaps, where you're most relaxed. Yeah, yeah. And uh-huh. you're daydreaming. Yeah. And you see, you say, the opening scene to the movie. Yeah, uh-huh. And that's why you've said my opening scenes are always my best, because that's what gets me going. If I see a great opening scene in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Then I know I'm on to something. So what's the next step? Let's say you have the opening scene to Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And it's in your head. Mm-hmm. Do you then go... Out of that pool and you rush to some room and start writing in longhand your your uh, script idea? Well, Pulp Fiction is probably the one that doesn't quite apply because the opening scene is such a non sequitur to the rest to the rest of the movie. So in that one, you know, I already, you know, uh, I had the idea. It, it kind of changed drastically from the time I got from the fr- page one to the last page. But I had this idea that there would be these three separate stories, and then this would sort of be this weird introduction that we would lose for a while, and then get back to Pumpkin and Honey Bunny later. So that was one that I kind of had the structure more or less worked out, or at least I thought I did. And uh, but more, it's it's more about the idea that uh, I come up with a story. Okay, like well, say Django is a good example. Django is right. a good example because uh, I was in. Um, I was doing press for uh, um, Inglorious Bastards in Japan, and I was hipped to that there was this uh, magnificent store in Tokyo that sold uh, 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 soundtracks, and they had a lot of great spaghetti western soundtracks. So I went down to this store, and it was all DVD, uh, all CDs, and man, they had spaghetti western soundtracks that you just couldn't get in America. I couldn't believe it. And so, I mean, I, I just, and they had record, I mean, I just bought so much that I just looked like a rich asshole. All right. Well, you know? But what a weird little store, huh? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, but like, what, I was jam packed, too, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, like, a stack of records this big and two bags of, 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 of CDs. And so I get back to my hotel room and I've, I've had like a day off. I did it on my day off. And I'm just, just luxuriating and all this like Morricone, Louise Bakalov spaghetti western music and it's just so great and whatever. 
And I've been having the idea for, for Django for a while. And then all of a sudden, it's like after listening to this stuff like for hours, I kind of sat down and uh, I didn't even have my notebook with me, which I normally have like a writing notebook with me. So I just took the stationery from uh, the hotel room. Sat Does up that the- drive you crazy that you don't have your writing book with you? Why wouldn't you bring your writing book with you? I don't know. I, I always have it with me. I, what wh- is the writing book? Is it a no, special a, kind no, of paper? No, no, no. It's just a mead, mead notebook. You okay. know, a little ring, ring binder notebook, you know. That's it. Yeah. And you work the page. Of whoosh, you know. um, Special pen or just? Well, I always have a, I always have a, 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 a handful of uh, black felt pens and a handful of red felt pens. And Why? Why black and red? I don't know. It's just uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll write for a while in black and then all of a sudden I get bored and then I switch to red. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. And um, and so uh, so. And so I didn't even have those with me. So I had the pen that, that's on the little desk in the room. And then I had the stationery from the, uh, uh, from the hotel. And then I sat down and then out came that opening scene in Django where, you know, the, the slaves are being led, uh, on the chain gang. And then Dr. Schultz with his wagon with the tooth going back and forth comes riding up. And then they had the whole encounter. And then I wrote the scene and it's pretty much. What's in the movie? And when I finish, I go, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing now. When you, when you see that in your head, mm-hmm. you don't see Jamie Foxx necessarily. No. You don't, you, you don't see well, the I, actor. I just see Kristoff. I had just worked with him. So right. yeah, it wasn't by accident that the dentist happened to be German. Uh, 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 so I was writing, uh, uh, so I was just writing for Django, not for an actor, uh, but for uh, Dr. Schultz, I was writing for Kristoff. Uh, how do you know it's a good idea in the sense that, and this is the same I ask musicians, like it's like you could be laughed out of the theater, out of the business if you come up with just a dopey idea that's mm-hmm. just ridiculously stupid. Do you, I mean, how do you know when it's a home run? Well, I think I think there's two answers to that question. I mean, one, I'm a pretty good storyteller, so I don't think my stories are dopey or, you know, right. uh, they, they, they might, uh, they all sound, even something like Inglorious Bastards is fairly plausible, all right, the way I, I tell the story. Um, but, uh, uh, but how I know is, how I know it's good is when I write a scene, I'm so like excited about it. I, I can't wait for people to, to read it. I can't, I, I can't wait for it to get out. People are going to love this. This is what I think. And then right. usually, uh, <clears throat> I'll call up a couple of friends on the phone. I go, Hey, can I just read you this scene that I wrote? You know? And they go, yeah. Who sure. do you call? Uh, Why am I not one of those people? <laughs> call, who do you call? When Quentin Tarantino goes, man, I'm on to something, but I just want to read this to someone. Who, who do you call? Another director? I call Eli Roth. Uh, okay. Or I, uh, uh, one of my old producers, uh, Stacey Scher, I would call her. I have a fr- friend named uh, another filmmaker, uh, Ree Rasmussen. Or uh, just, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, there's maybe about four or five people, you know, that Are I... Are people honest with you? Does anyone ever say to you... Quentin, this is terrible. I, I I don't get it. Well, I don't read them terrible scenes, you know. Uh, right, uh, right. Uh, now, now understand it's really interesting because look, obviously the reason I'm reading it to them is I want them to go, "Wow, that was really great," uh, and you know, and I'm listening for laughs and stuff like that. But uh, but the truth of the matter is, I don't really want a lot of comments back from them, um, uh, you know, unless they're positive. 
the point of reading it to them is for me to hear it through their ears. I can walk up and down my room and read it six times in a row, but it still seems like an echo chamber. I'm just kind of getting the timing of it right. I'm, I'm figuring out the timing of it. But when I read it to them, I, I become them. I hear it through their ears. That makes total sense to me. And, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, really what you're doing is rather than just reading it out loud in your room, yeah. which isn't the same, mm-hmm. you need some sort of audience. And then you say it out loud and then you go, Oh, okay. Yeah. This sounds real. This sounds good. Yeah. Now, now all of a sudden I'm not just reading it in the room. Now I'm performing it. Now I'm leaning into the jokes. Now I'm, you know, Oh no, here's the punchline coming up here. I got a bub, 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 boom. <laughs> Wow. Do you, 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 you don't have any interest in writing with someone else, right? In other words, it's a lonely experience. Yeah. But it's not torturous, you say, for you. It's no, no, no. no. Of- I, I have a, I have a ball. I have a ball. I mean, I'm, I'm always writing something just because it's just, it's just a fun thing for me to do. Is it a ritual with you? Is it like I have to wake up at this and this time? I have to um, uh, drink a cup of tea. I have to have my cereal. And, I, you know, is it is it a ritual that's a pleasant ritual that you turn it into? Because it's so lonely when you're writing. I have ritual aspects uh, 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 to it. But I've kind of gotten over all the, oh, no, I need to do this and I need to do that and I need to do this. And I, I never really even had that that much anyway. I mean, I, I write in restaurants to this day. I write in bars. I'll, uh, uh, you know, just uh, take all my junk and, and go to a coffee house or go to a coffee shop or go to some little bar and then, uh, you know, sit there for two or three hours and drink some stuff and eat some stuff and lay out all my crap and, and then just write. Wow. And just the, the fact that I brought all that junk there, I'm going to write something. Right. It's not like I'm going to lay all that junk out uh, on, a, uh, on a Denny's table and order some coffee and order uh, uh, um, eggs over my hammy and then uh, uh, not have something to write. No, no, no. The, 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 it's like I'm going to work. The sheer physical act of bringing all that stuff there makes me put something on the page. Well, that's really interesting to me. I figure you lock yourself in a room in your home and it's a special writing room. No, you say you'll go to a restaurant and bring all your junk with you and write. Yeah. What, is, I mean, is I normally, about- I, normally I, normally I write at home, uh, but then I, oh, I gotta get the fuck out of here. You know, and then, uh, uh, and I break out. So you don't see the full movie in your head when you're doing that thing laying in the pool, coming up with what maybe your next idea is. You don't necessarily, when you write that opening scene, you don't necessarily visualize the whole movie. You don't even know where it's going to end up. Well, it's, it's, uh, uh, um, I usually think I do. I mean, but also at the same time, uh, look, I think I do. I might be wrong, but you know, also, you know, my movies are, are, you know, um, are almost always, uh, genre movies. Right. You know, so it's like Inglorious Bastards. Well, I guess it's going to end with the Bastards going on a mission uh, to kill Hitler or do whatever there whatever there is they're supposed to do, blow up the theater. So I figure yeah. the end will be the mission. Uh, right. uh, I figure at the end of Kill Bill, she'll kill Bill. Uh, you know, so I, I have a destination that right. I'm going to by by sheer virtue of the genre that I'm doing. And then this idea, and I like this. Because music inspires the hell out of me. Yeah. When I paint, I always, I, I, I listen to music and it gets me going. Yeah. You are really tied. You say, 
when I, and again, this is the process. Yeah. I, I come up with an opening scene and then maybe I'll go and listen to music and find the music for the movie. You haven't even finished it yet. You haven't written it yet. It's like. No, that, that actually might even get me to sit down and write it. Once I kind of figure out what's going on and, uh, um, what I'm, what I'm digging, then it's like, okay, now this, this, this idea is staying around. This is, this is getting better. This is not, I'm, I'm not losing interest in it. I'm, I'm gaining interest in it and I'm coming up with a little bit more and a little bit more. And so then I, uh, I have a, I have a record room in my house. So it's all set up like a used record store and it's all broken down into bins and everything. And I've been collecting records since I was a kid. And so then, uh, I dive into the, I dive into the record room. I dive into what songs I dive into my soundtrack albums and I start playing stuff and I start just trying to find something that's gonna, that would be right for the movie that will inspire me. And almost like you say about that first scene, if I find the right song, for like the opening credit sequence, okay, that's it. Okay, really? now, now I'm like, okay, I guess I'm making this movie because I want to see that opening credit sequence. Now, sometimes it doesn't work out, but but uh, so uh, like you're sitting writing Kill Bill, and you go, uh, now I'm in my record room. I got an idea where I'm going, but I want my inspiration. You throw some records on, and then the, when you watch your own movies back, or I don't know if you do, but yeah, do. when you you do, yeah, when when you um, why do you watch your own movies back? Oh, I love to, them. <laughs> you love them. I love my movies. <laughs> I'm making I them for me. Great. I'm making them for me. <laughs> Everybody else is invited. All right. I so, anytime so my we, movies are on, like on the uh, yeah, on, on TV, I'm like, oh hey, boom. Well, I guess uh, now I'm watching Jackie Brown for a while. <laughs> I think that's such an honest answer because I, you know, you talk to actors. Oh, I never watch anything I do and uh, or, or or film. No, no, no. I can't. It's too painful. No, you like these oh, movies. I, <laughs> I'm very. I'm not them. I'm very happy with my work. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 at what point like when you look at when you go back and watch kill bill is there a song that comes to mind that you heard that propelled that movie that you associate with that movie oh yeah when i came up with uh uh, uh using a uh, bang bang uh, uh bang bang he shot me down yeah uh, i was like well that's just perfect in fact I have to make this fucking movie before somebody else get wises up and uses this for the opening credit of their song. This is like as if she wrote it for me. <laughs> Isn't it weird how that is too? Once you have the idea, you start to panic that someone yeah. else is going to have the idea, and right. no one else is thinking the way you are. Yes. I used to, I used to rush to get radio things on the air because like, some other guy's yeah. going to do yeah. this. Yes, it's, it's it's amazing like that. No one's doing that. Well, I but, you know, I, I worked for like you know quite a few years on the script for uh, Once Upon a Time in. Uh, Hollywood. Uh, it was just like I'd work on it in between things, not in any super hurry. Uh, but one of the producers on uh, uh, on Pulp Fiction and on uh, Hateful Eight and, and uh, Django was a, a producer named Stacy Share. And so four years before I had finished with it, I'd read her some scenes that I'd written and talked. And uh, but I thought the title "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood" was so great that. I can't talk about that title for four years or five years before the uh, before advance. So we had a so I go like I can't tell you the name of the movie because I don't <laughs> want to put it out there. I don't right. even want to say it out loud myself. I don't want to give it even that much. I know what it is, but uh, so we will. She'll just refer to it as magnum opus. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it weird though? Like you you um you, you talk about movies like that and you have them in your head for so long. Do people around you in your personal life understand what it takes to write a movie, 
the type of isolation you need, the type of alone time in your record room you need. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you think like even in, 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 in relationships with women that you couldn't maintain a relationship with a woman who wouldn't possibly understand no, how much well, alone would... time you need? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. That 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 uh, especially when it comes to what I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can't. You, uh, a woman who doesn't understand that, she just doesn't understand you. Right. You know, and you know, and I'm married now, and uh, you know, my wife has created this like wonderful little office for me where I'm in when I'm in Tel Aviv, and I just go down there and and I write, and uh, uh, from time to time I get a little bored there, so it's easy to go down there, and there I am, and I'm I've become incredibly prolific while I'm there. I've done I've done more writing there than I've like done in the last five years in Los Angeles. But can you get lost in you? Because you have kids now, right? Yeah. yeah so uh, yeah, do can you? Can your wife say to you, Quentin, I understand you need time. You're an artist. You create these things out of nothing. Mm-hmm. But you do need to focus more on the kids. And you do need to focus more on me. Because I know from this, it's very difficult when you write and mm-hmm. create stuff. Mm-hmm. You just need all that alone time. So I imagine that's an additional pressure in your life now. Well, it's... it's uh, uh, uh just because I set my own hours, it's the same thing as if I am, am going to work. However, right. having said that, uh, uh, playing with my son is one of the greatest things of my life. I mean, it, it's literally, it's, it's, it's one of the greatest. I, if I talk about it too much, I'm just going to start crying. All right. Uh, Cause I love playing with him so much. And, and, um, you know, so at some point, you know, she goes, okay, Quentin, get out of your room. Come here. Uh, Leo's in the living room. You know, come over, uh, come over and play with him or hey, it's time to give him a bath. Okay. Fine, honey. You know, and I, I'll, you're okay with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, anything I'm doing is there's nothing I can't get back to. As a matter of fact, that's a trick. That's a writing trick is, um, Actually, I learned it from, what did I learn it from? Uh, I learned it from, I think, Ernest Hemingway, from reading Ernest Hemingway's letters, that uh, a, a writing trick is to not finish your thought. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, well, like you're writing, you know, the, the temptation is like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, okay, you get to your final thought, boom. And then, okay, now you'll pick it up there the next time. Uh, his advice is, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, stop. Oh. Stop. Don't finish the thought. You know what the thought is. You're not going to forget it. You know, and, and then, uh, so when you, when you go, uh, so when you pick it up the next day or two days later, you're writing, you're writing again because you know exactly how to finish the thought. And now by the time you finish the thought, now you're in writing mode. I can never do that because once I know where I'm going, I just want to keep going, you yeah, know, yeah, until, yeah. because I'm paranoid that I'll forget. Yeah. <laughs> But your point is, if it's such a good idea, I've always had that. Even when it comes to, I mean, I, I, I don't really keep notes. I don't really super write stuff down that I came up with uh, that much uh, because it's like, ah, oh, if it's a good idea, then of course I'm going to remember it. If I didn't remember it, it couldn't have been that good idea. It couldn't really? have been that good. Yeah. Oh my God, I find that fascinating. I mean, I would think you know you can forget stuff, and if it's something, of good, course you can. But if, if, if it's gold, I'm not going to forget gold. 
<laughs> right, right. But 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 doesn't it consume you for the rest of the day? Like, oh, I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget. This is good. This is good. The next time I write. No, no, no. Look, if it's something I'm still working out and I've caught some sort of a wave, that's a whole different story. Sometimes you kind of you know catch a wave and you're just writing it. So no, you there. You gotta ride the. You gotta ride that wave all all the way into the beach. But if I kind of know, but if I totally know where I'm going and what the next four lines to wrap this up would be, then yeah, fine. You mentioned you love playing with your son, but immediately yeah. what I'm thinking about is, uh, you know, here your name is Tarantino, and yet you never knew your father. Yeah, you met him once mm-hmm. when he when you were already a success, and yeah, he walked into that. I remember you told me you walked into yeah, a yeah, coffee shop. Me at a coffee shop, yeah, right. And you said, "Fuck you." I yeah, mean, yeah. I'm not talking to you. You, mm-hmm. you were never in my life. Yeah. When you have a father who abandons you. Uh, it's heavy duty. I don't, I don't uh, make light of that. Yeah. And when you have a mother who was your sole support, you probably felt bad for her on many levels. You know, you, you, you know, she, she was abandoned too. Mm-hmm. It, it leads. Oh, she left to... Clear the record straight. She left him. <laughs> okay. So maybe even your anger with her for no, leaving no, 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 him. Who no, knows? no, no, no. He was good. Who knows? Out of the, you know, I wasn't angry at her for leaving him. <laughs> okay. But whatever the dynamic was. Yeah. It does leave you hungry for a father. A male and, figure, yeah. Sure. And and uh and in many ways your mother wasn't that supportive of your career as we as we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. How did you figure out how to have the capacity to love your son mm-hmm. and play with him when no one played with you? Mm-hmm. Sometimes those resentments get in the way. Did you go to some kind of special mm-hmm. therapy or did you talk to someone as you were about to become a parent? Because I think this is really important, especially for people who have tra- traumatized childhoods, mm-hmm. which you had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you had anger. And who wouldn't? I'd be angry at a father who never saw me. Yeah. Well, you, you know, know, look, I'm, I'm definitely a lot older now. So if I hadn't gotten over some of that stuff, you know, by, by this point in time, uh, I probably don't deserve to have kids. But it was one of those things where I've always really, really liked kids. And it's one of those things where it's like, uh, when I hang around, uh, you know, if, if you hang around like a couple that have kids and say you're like, you're really, that, that they're a couple of your best friends, then you're going to meet a whole other, lot of other couples that have kids. Right. And they're going to come over. And I was always really good at, at, at uh, uh, playing around with their kids and, and uh, or even these groups of kids that would come over. And it'd be literally one of those things where all the mothers would get these crushes on me because mothers get crushes on, on adult men th- that are good with kids. Right. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, like, all the mothers had crushes on me. I'm like, my goodness, Quentin is so good with Raymond. I can't believe it. <laughs> Raymond doesn't really like anybody, but he'll yeah. sit down in a play with Raymond and it's it's fantastic. And you, right. you, you hear how Quentin doesn't talk down to Raymond. He talks, you know, he talks slightly over his head, but Raymond likes that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great way to, to meet women. I yeah. mean, it really <laughs> truly is. <laughs> but, well, yeah. hey, look, hey, absolutely, positively, but, my but wife never... would not have married me if she didn't think I was like good father material. <laughs> Meanwhile, I haven't seen you in so long. Yeah. I realized now you're a married. I mean, a lot has gone down. I heard you were living in Israel, and I'm like, Israel? Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> typically, you're doing something I wouldn't expect. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I, I was talking earlier with Robin. I said, you know, I never expected Quentin to even get married. Who is this I, woman uh, that? At this that, point, that, I, at that point, I wasn't expecting to get married either. But yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I met yeah, the right I mean, woman, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you were, I, I would assume the reason you never got married is you were completely career consumed, right? Yeah. It would have been unhealthy for you to get married. Well, it was like, yeah, well, I, I, we, we've talked about the, it before. I remember talking on the show. <coughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know we had a cough button. We have Good a cough button. Yeah. And right. You don't have the code, I used it do you? after I was done, all right, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, we had one of, I thought, uh, one of our more interesting talks on uh, on the show was I was talking about how in the early 2000s, I had baby fever. Right. And I really kind of wanted to have uh, uh, have a kid. And if it ended up working out, oh, that that waitress at the Mexican restaurant. All right. Well, I ended up knocking her up. Well, if that's how it's supposed to happen. I guess that's how it's supposed to happen. Kid doesn't give a shit. You know, uh, uh, right. you know, uh, that's that's the way it's going to be. But then it, it didn't happen. And then uh, the baby fever broke. You know, after a couple of years, when you were having baby fever, though, would you go around and have like like unprotected sex and say, you know, I don't care what happens. I want a baby. Well, I was always having unprotected sex, but it wasn't just to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you live on the edge, don't you? Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, <clears throat> but the thing is, though, I remember we were talking and you were like. Good. <laughs> when I said the baby, the baby fever, good. Good for you. You're yeah. lucky. Have fun. Wow. Well, and, and, and I was like going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, no, I had shit to do. Right. I right. had shit to do and I didn't want to. And people would say things like, you know, oh, once you have a baby, it just changes your life completely. I don't want to change my life completely. I have a really fucking great life. I like right. my life. You know, yeah. After you have a kid... Everything else you do will be inconsequential. I don't want everything I do to be inconsequential. You love your life because you realized your dream. You wanted yeah. to make movies and, and all yeah. odds against you and anyone who wants to try that yeah. kind of career. Uh -huh. It worked out. And it, wor and, you know, and it worked out. And it's like, you know, I've been in this you know, business 30 years and I'm still playing the game at like the highest level. Didn't you, it scare you, you at one it. point? Like when you look at directors. Mm hmm particularly writer directors mm -hmm. i always think there's a window now like there the, is a window it, like yeah like the beatles had their window you know and yeah. it's like uh you know the, most great artists have this window did you worry about that like hey i don't want to age out mm -hmm. i don't want to get too old where i don't relate to an audience anymore so you felt driven like man now's my time to get yeah. these movies done yeah i remember actually asking uh, uh, uh um i had just finished the Kill Bill movies, and I remember um, it was when I was dating Sofia Coppola, and I was talking to uh, uh, her mother, uh, Eleanor Coppola, and I was saying that, um, well, Kill Bill was such an epic. I felt like I, I clown, I climbed Mount Everest, and but now I. I don't feel I can do a small mountain now. I feel like it, it, to make it worth it to me, everything is, if it's okay, I've done Everest. Now the next one has to be Fuji. And then one after that needs to be Kilimanjaro. And, uh, and so I'm describing it to her to hear what she has to say. And she's like, no, these are your mountain climbing years. Right. You will not want to climb the mountain at a certain point, but now you have to climb the mountain. These are your mountain climbing years. Right. 
Is it a disaster for a director today? You, you mentioned Sophia Coppola. I forgot about that. But is uh, is it a disaster for a director writer to marry in, like another director or date another director? Is it too competitive in the I'm, sense that I don't, I don't think so. I mean, uh, 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 we <laughs> what we did was so far away from each other. There was like no competition or anything like that and i was also also i was also so into what she was doing that i was just you know completely supportive uh, you know it seemed theoretic fear it's all about people and, per, and you know theoretically having the same job uh that you don't actually have to share sounds like it would be a good fit theoretically yeah, it sounds like it, it also sounds kind of romantic to me the yeah, two of you go really off into good. your writing rooms and you understand that you're working yes, now and, and then uh, two auteurs in love I mean, yeah that sounds that sounds pretty great <laughs> yeah no it, it actually does i'm just curious the 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 woman you married uh-huh. she had to be some spectacular woman who really gets you yeah and she's Israeli, right? Yes, uh-huh. And 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 she said to you, Quentin, it's important for me to live in Israel for the for for a good amount of the year. Uh, and you're you're cool with that, right? It's, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. well, first off, it was like you know she is absolutely a Tel Avivian. Uh, you know, I'm mean, her family. She's very her family's very important to her. Her family's in Tel Aviv. She loves Tel Aviv. And uh, the first three years of us uh uh dating before we uh got married i mean even during the time that we were engaged she lived in los angeles she was there she did she did the work she did the work she came out there now she would be she would be in in la for two months and then what did she do what what was her business uh, 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 she's uh she's a model and a singer i see yeah and And how did you meet her uh well i met her Many years earlier, we were, I was, uh, in Israel at, um, for the, uh, Inglorious Bastards, uh, premiere, uh, in, uh, in Tel Aviv. And so I, I met her, I met her in a club, frankly. Hmm. And we met in a club and then we just, we danced all night long. We danced for three hours. I mean, I had to throw my shirt away. All right, when it was over, because it was just stained, right, like a horse don. All right, you know, uh, had to throw it away. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, and 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 the and the weird part about it is, we don't even remember meeting each other. We don't remember that. Oh, hi, this is Quentin. Hi, this is Daniela. We don't remember that. We don't really remember almost anything that was said during that night. We just remember holding hands and dancing for three hours. Isn't it sad? Don't you wish you had a film mm-hmm. of your first meeting so that you could remember well, it? Well, that would be nice, but I like the fact that we were just so blown away by each other that uh, uh, that we just remember touching, and that's all we that's all we can, as if we were always meant to be together. And so then, uh, so did you know she was the one that night? Did you think to yourself, well, I, this I, might I, be it? I had never had that kind of evening before. I had had really good evenings, but never right. that evening. And she's just. She's a fucking knockout. I mean, just right. She's a beauty, and um, and then yeah, and and also her her father is like the the most famous uh uh, uh pop singer in Israel, Savika Pick, and oh, so wow. everybody knows who she is. She grew up in the spotlight, so she's like a princess. Wow. And um, so like we got together for dinner, I think later, and then the next night was uh. 
the premiere. So she showed up at the premiere. You invited her. Yeah, I invited her at the premiere. So we hung out for a little while uh, during the time I was in Israel. Then, then I had to leave Israel and go to uh, another uh, another stop. So I went to Rome, and I'm in Rome for like a day. And then, like the next day, I call her up and go, "Hey, you want to come to Rome with me?" You want to come down right. here and just hang out? And she said, yeah. So she got in. That was a big deal for her to get on an airplane. She, we, she didn't yeah. really know me that much. So she got on an airplane and, and she came down to Rome. And then uh, I go, you want to go back home with me? And uh, so uh, she called a friend so she wouldn't just be completely by herself. Uh, and right. uh, she flew to Los Angeles and uh, we spent two weeks together. And at the end, everything was, was great, but neither of us were ready. Neither, neither of neither of us were ready for the relationship that would that would be the one. Really? Yeah. Why weren't you ready? I mean, you'd been through a lot in your life. I and just you wasn't. Knew- I just. I. I wasn't ready to say, okay, that's it. All right. right. And not that. Not that there was that type of decision. It just. Right. It was kind of just didn't seem right for both of us. So. It was very friendly, but we just let it drift away. And then she went on and lived her life, and I went on and lived mine. And then, um, how do you do that, Quint? When you meet someone that great, mm-hmm. I never understood this as part of being a guy. But you know, you're not ready. It, it doesn't it drive you crazy that she might meet someone else, and that 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 you'll lose her forever. I mean, when you meet someone who you vibe with that great, I mean, look, you know, look, I, I, I might have been a. Scared little chicken shit. All right. <laughs> right. Okay. Oh, shit. This is for real. Yeah. <laughs> what were you scared of exactly? What I do don't mean? know. I don't know. I'm just, I don't even know if I was scared, but. Uh, right. Something you know, was up. Yeah. Something. Yeah. It, and, it, you know, but, but, you know, she wasn't making a point about it either. It just seemed like uh, it was a fantastic thing, but maybe it had run its course. Maybe it was this, you know, strangers in the night, doobie doobie. Right. You know, maybe it was that. And, and, and that can be beautiful too. So maybe right. that was the case. And um, so then I, I end up going on, I get invited on this cruise. And so I go on this cruise. This is like six years later. I go on this cruise and then I uh, uh, meet a woman who's on the cruise who's a family friend of uh, the Picks, which is her name. And uh, she goes, oh, hey, I'm a, uh, uh, I'm a good friend of uh, Daniela. And I go, oh, Daniela, she was so great. <laughs> she was so great, as if she's dead. <laughs> 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 and so, no, I figured, like, she's, you know, she's moved on. I mean, for all I know, she's probably married. I don't know what the deal is. All right. So, uh, so I how many years later is this? It's like six the, years, six years. Oh my God. That long. Huh? Yeah. Six years. And so wow. I, so I just say a bunch of nice things figuring, okay, I'll say a bunch of, oh, Daniela is so wonderful. She was so great. I figure I'll just say a bunch of nice things. This friend will go back home to Tel Aviv. We'll, we'll eventually bump into Daniela and say, Hey, I bumped into Quentin and he said a bunch of nice things about you. That, that was the plan. Right. That was the plan. Well, she went up into her stateroom and called Daniela. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden, this uh, you know, friend of the family called me and go, hey, meet me in the coffee shop. And so I met her in the coffee shop. And she goes, so I just got through talking to Daniela. And it turns out she just broke up with her boyfriend. Mm. So when you're through with your cruise and you get back home, give Daniela a call. Wow. And, and so I, I, I went back home and, 
I did. I called her. We had a really nice conversation. She was happy to hear from me. Uh, then all of a sudden, next thing I know, we, we talked about three different times, you know, uh, uh, fairly shortly in a row, which is unusual for me. And, and, um, and so we decided, well, okay, well, let's get together. Let's get there. And no promises. We don't know what's going to happen, but right. I'm intrigued enough and I would love to see you. Uh, uh, let's do it. And so we decided, okay, look, you shouldn't have to come to America and I shouldn't have to come to, uh, uh, Tel Aviv. So let's, uh, let's meet in Paris. Okay, wow. that's kind of gearing it to work out, all right, uh, meeting right, in the yeah. city of I like love. how you're thinking, yeah. <laughs> and uh, But we kind of wanted it to work out, and uh, so uh, we both went to, uh, we both went to uh, Paris, and we've been together ever since. Wow. Isn't that something that you broke up for six years, didn't yeah. see each other? That is, that's unusual. And then it's it really like, is. Yeah, and then it, it's like, uh, uh, like we, we couldn't be happier. She's just, she's, she's a wonderful wife she's a magnificent mother she's a beautiful lady uh you know i like getting dressed up and she gets dressed up and then we go out to dinner and uh and uh we look like a good looking couple and it's 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 uh, uh it's exciting it's fantastic and her whole thing is to create uh an environment for me to do what i do and, and, and so the thing is so she didn't abscond to me in um uh, in Israel, what the idea, our initial idea was, okay, you know, we'll spend three months in Tel Aviv and then like three months in Los Angeles. Uh, right. So I'm there in Tel Aviv. We just had uh, the little boy and then COVID hit. Right. So all of a sudden I was like stuck in Israel for like eight months. Now, if you're going to be stuck during a pandemic, one of the countries that handled it better than everybody else is not the worst place to be stuck in. No, not at all. Having said that, you know, I'm from Los Angeles and I didn't know I was going to be there that long. And so I was a little climbing the walls at a certain point. So once things kind of loosened up, now we have kind of a situation where it's like... uh I'll spend two months there. Then I go and spend uh, four weeks or six weeks in Los Angeles. Usually I have some work to do, but also she's, but also maybe I want to be by myself. I want to be in my old house that I lived in, you know, for 20 years. And she's like, it's fine. It's fine. Wow. Go, go. I don't want you coming here, climbing the walls. I, I want you to love Israel. I want you to love being here. So, you know, when it's too much, go have your time. Have your time at home at your old house. Go visit some of your friends. Go to some of your old haunts. And then you know, when you, and then you start missing us and then come back and now you're now you're present and you're here and you want to be here. Funny thing with guys is when 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 a woman gives you that freedom mm -hmm. in the relationship to do that. Mm -hmm. We come running back much sooner, don't yeah, we? It's like, yeah. uh, it, it's a weird thing. As soon as uh, my wife, I'll say to my wife, I need five minutes to myself. It's one minute, really. Yeah, and, right. then, uh, <laughs> you know, and then I'm yeah, right back following her around. <laughs> it does work that way. But I'm that's following her around. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like the way yeah, a cat yeah. follows like yeah. somebody from room to room. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be by myself. I don't know what to do by myself, you know, but, but, but that's, that's really great. Well, I'm really happy for you in that respect. That's uh, fantastic oh, that you found someone and you got mm -hmm. kids and yeah. all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is just quite remarkable.
Because I don't know why. Do you speak Hebrew when you're in Israel? Is it? Uh... I speak childish Hebrew. All right, you know, I I I can talk to my son in Hebrew. Uh, I've, I've, I, I'm I'm learning Hebrew with him, so it's like I'm learning. Uh, like I know a ton of words. I just I I haven't tried to start putting them together in sentences or anything. But uh, you know, uh, but you know, he watches like all the baby TV channels and junk. You know, as as a toddler, and so like I I've learned how to say a bunch of the animal names right in Hebrew. <laughs> you know, yeah, cow is para, cat is katul, uh, horse is sus. <laughs> Maybe your next film will be in Hebrew. You never know. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, the thing I've heard about, I've never been to Israel, but I hear the food in the restaurants is, without exception, the best in the world, which shocked me. It's delicious. The restaurants, uh, the restaurants are fantastic. The the food is delicious. You know, in a lot of ways, Tel Aviv especially. Tel Aviv is a lot like Los Angeles. It's just Los Angeles. It was the size of a postage stamp. Right. That's weird. It, you know, it, I mean, the weather is very, very similar. We have the beach there. Uh, there's mountains. You go the other w- direction. And, uh, but the nightlife, the bars, the restaurants and bars, the fancy bars, the fancy restaurants, the nightclubs, they're very, very similar. And, um, no, the, uh, uh, the Israeli restaurants are fantastic, and my wife is a sensational cook. Wow, sounds like a good life. I'll tell you I, that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lucky bastard. Are you are you recognized in Israel oh, a lot, or is fuck it, yeah, you are yeah, and and but uh, but her father is too, right? Because yeah. he's this big uh, singer. Yeah, he just passed I, away a little bit ago. All right, but oh. yeah, uh, no, it was complete national mourning. Mm. It was a day wow. of na- day of mourning for the entire country. Wow, that's unbelievable. Talk a week to me, morning, yeah. Talk to me about this this collecting because or you said you collect vinyl, which mm-hmm. I never understand, but okay, you collect vinyl, but you also everyone knows you worked in a um video, video store. store when you were young. But when the video store went out of business, you mm-hmm. set up in your house yeah. this incredible it's 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 a video store. You bought yeah, yeah, all yeah, of yeah. the videos right. that they had mm-hmm. and you set it up like a video store in your home. Mm-hmm. What it what, I maybe I understand a little bit the fascination with the the vinyl, mm-hmm. but why why videotape when you could have uh, all these films on you know digital? Okay. Why would you why would you do that? Okay, well one, okay, so it went out of business. I think in uh, the store went out of business in I don't I can't remember if it was ninety seven or ninety eight something like maybe ninety seven or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so. When I bought all the video cassettes then, it wasn't some retro thing I was doing. That's what right. we watched. We watched video cassettes. And, um, and so one, there was nothing wrong with having a big collection of movies that I, uh, I could afford. It, it wasn't some nostalgic, uh, 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 retro, uh, right. uh, it was the technology of the day. It was the technology of the day, but also, I had invested so much in that collection. I wasn't going to watch it be uh, uh, sold to Blockbuster for you know three cents on the dollar. Uh, right. I had invested my twenties into that collection. So, um, so I do got. You th- mm-hmm. Do go you think that's what makes you a great director in the fact that you have 
I, I imagine a great memory for all of these films that you watched. You watched them over and over again, and now they're ingrained in your head. Mm -hmm. And maybe to become a master filmmaker, you need to draw on what other directors did, and you need to draw on film references. I think, got to I think you're making a little too much of that. You know, uh, it, it's it's not so much I'm it's not so much I'm taking something, but it's just the fact that so much of my early life I was just immersed in film. Yeah. I was just in, immersed in it. You know, not too dissimilar from somebody who is a good football player and loves football, is like immersed in the game and is immersed in the history of the game. Yeah, I guess I compare it to painting. The way yeah, I yeah. learned to paint was I'd look at master paintings and yeah. say, how did this guy paint a tree? Right, exactly. I don't yeah, know yeah. how to paint a tree. I don't know how to make a tree come to life on a piece of paper, but here's a guy who did. Right, exactly, yeah. And, and you study that, mm -hmm. and then by... And then all of a sudden, I, you, oh, I, oh, these four strokes gives me a tree. Now, what I want to do with that tree after those four strokes is up to me. That's my point about knowing all these films. The mm -hmm. fact that, you know, in the new book, by the way, Quentin's here, not for his health, but his book, Cinema <laughs> Speculation, is available wherever books are sold. You point out perfect films, like films that, like like one of the films that comes to mind from the book is Jaws. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, when you say a film is a perfect film, what does that mean? What's the criteria? Well, well, I also say in the book that you're not necessarily looking for a perfection in film every once in a while a movie does it though uh um yeah i don't have a big hard fast rule about that uh uh but jaws does seem like a perfect film um uh, look it's all just taste but the thing about it though is especially i'm talking about films from the 70s there does seem to be a collection that are you know they just they seem, they seem perfect. Okay, what do I mean by that? Okay, I'm going to not even talk about the movie. I'll say what makes them perfect is I think I can't imagine anybody not thinking they're perfect. They just have a, uh, they have a, a, an entertainment factor. They have an entertainment factor that, uh, that, that almost anybody can relate to. And, you know, and I, and, uh, so I, I do feel Jaws falls into that category. I do feel Dirty Harry falls in that category or Annie Hall falls into Dirty that Harry because, as you point out yeah. in the book, Dirty Harry changed cop movies. Yeah. I mean, you say Bullet changed cop movies yeah. and then you go on to Bullet with Steve McQueen. Yeah, Steve yeah. McQueen was some leading man, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, he's probably one of those guys who go, gee, I wish I could have worked with him. You know, yeah, I would have loved to have worked with him. Right. But, but the, 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 um, Dirty Harry, I, I guess you, you made a point in the mm -hmm. book of saying, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't really think of cops in movies. Mm hmm. Like, until Dirty Harry, when Clint Eastwood became this anti-hero, yeah, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, cops were the coolest. Yeah. You wanted to be a cop. Well, Dirty Harry, it was like, uh, well, I think in the book, the deal is, it's like, Bullet had to break the back of the cop procedural movie, because back in the late 60s, when, when Bullet comes out, um, you know, Cops were always depressed, and it was always a downer, and their and their bosses and the other guys that worked with them were always a downer, and they, they dressed like shit. The whole app, the, the point was that their suits were dirty and didn't fit, right. and they, their, their crappy raincoats, all right, and they always had some boring mystery that they were trying to solve that no one gave a damn about. And they always had the same dissatisfied wife at home. <coughs> but, <laughs> yeah. 
During the same time, okay, no, secret agents, oh, no, they're the ones that get to be cool. They're the ones that get to dress nice and get the chicks and do this and do that. And same thing with, like, private detectives. Well, they were allowed to dress better and have nicer cars and, and go on funner adventures uh, than cops. Yep. And then, you know, now, now you cut to uh, a Bullet. And it's Steve McQueen, and he's got a magnificent wardrobe, and he drives this cool Mustang, and his haircut is fantastic. Every pair of jeans he wore has been washed 500 times you right. know, uh, before he puts them on. He doesn't have a dissatisfied wife at home. He has a hot piece of ass, and Jack- Jacqueline Bassett is his girlfriend. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wakes up and in pajamas he could have got from the Hefner mansion. <laughs> yeah, and the point is, yeah. after he did that, that broke the mold, and now every cop movie is... Yeah, yeah. That guy. That's it, it. Exactly, and that you know that created the that created the kind of uh, you know the, the the modern cop story, and then Dirty Harry just completely uh, made it now. Uh, uh, Put the final nail in the in the coffin of westerns. Now, what westerns had been for all the generations before? Now, cop movies would be, you know, and and Dirty Harry just would, you know, especially his like, you know, uh, no no pity for the uh, 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 no sympathy for the wicked uh, stance, uh, you know, became one of the most imitated uh, uh, characters in in international cinema, you know, for the next for the next twenty years. Is uh, is Clint Eastwood a guy you've met because now you're famous and you're a famous director? Like, does that give you access to guys like that? And it's got to be a rush, right? Oh, it's a very well, not but I mean, but uh, uh, Eastwood did me a big solid, and he he talks about it from time to time, saying that he's proud about it. He was the president of the jury when I won uh, the Palm Door for uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh, wow. What about what about awards when you like when your film gets nominated for 10 awards and mm-hmm. you win two for uh, screenwriting and mm-hmm. do you um, because you're a collector, do you display those uh, Oscars? Do you do you like if I walked into Quentin Tarantino's house, would I see those Oscars or are you like uh, that's not cool? Oh, no, no, no. I have I, I have a. a uh, I have a whole shelf in my library, but that's not the room that I take people to. All right, right. I, we could more go in my family room. All right, yeah. uh, uh, but I do. No, I do have that. That's kind of fun. What, what I have though, what I do though is, I have the I, I I have my entire filmography kind of worked down by like by the printed scripts and then the awards. You know, so. There's the, the printed scripts for Reservoir Dogs, and there's whatever awards I won for that. Then there's the printed scripts for uh, the published scripts for Pulp Fiction, and there's all the awards I won for that. And then it just kind of keeps going. Yeah, uh, on a shelf? So yeah, if I shelf. walked into yeah. this room, you'd have this, the finished script. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Not the handwritten notes. No, not the handwritten notes, but like the published script. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Oh, wow. And then I would see the awards for that film. But whatever that won. Yeah, exactly. Have you won enough awards? Do you feel you have not gotten the credit from Hollywood? Or do you feel satisfied with the amount of awards you've won? I feel absolutely satisfied. Look, I think I should have won Best Screenplay for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. Uh, Who won that year? uh, The the Parasite guys. Oh, okay. And uh, I thought I should have. I'm not talking. I, I didn't give a damn about picture i didn't give a damn about director but i thought i thought my script was better i thought i should have i thought i should have won best screenplay and it it didn't work out i had that would have been but that would have been uh uh um 
that would have been a nice record because uh, I specialized in doing original scripts. And the only person that have, to have won three original screenplay Oscars is Woody Allen. So right. I would have tied with Woody Allen on, you know, uh, on my thing, what I do. And so that would have been a nice marker. Well, it didn't happen. I don't think it's going to happen. So uh, too bad. But I've done pretty good. You won Best Screenplay for Pulp Fiction yeah. and Django Unchained. Yeah. Yeah, and I know, I understand what you're saying. There are screenplays of yours. Again, I don't remember the years and what you were up against. Well, anytime I lost, I thought I should have won, all right, as far as screenplay <laughs> right. was concerned. You know, right. it's like the guy from uh, Hurt Locker won Best Screenplay. Ah, Inglourious Bastard is a better screenplay than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Well, are you not, do you sometimes think maybe people have a bias against Quentin Tarantino for some reason? I don't know what the reason would be, but do you kind of sense that? I don't think so. I think in, I think in both cases, it was, uh, uh, high tide raises all boats. I mean, in both, in both cases, uh, you know, those movies kind of covered the block. Yeah. You yeah. Know, everyone just X'd, everyone just X'd every box, uh, for the Hurt Locker box and pretty much everyone X'd every box for the, uh, um, uh, the parasite box. Uh, like I just was wanting screenplay, you know. Um, but um, uh, yeah. So uh, uh, I don't think there's. Uh, I don't. Like, there shouldn't be a bias for the simple fact that you know there's only about four other people who have ever won two uh, 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 original screenplay awards. You know. So I'm in. I'm in. A, I'm in a. I'm in a group of. I think four. I'm in a group of four, and it's like the greatest writers in the history of Hollywood. So that's a that's a good place. Who's to be. in that group? You, uh, Woody uh, Allen, uh, uh, Woody Allen, Billy Wilder, Patty Chayefsky, and Billy Wilder's partner Charles Brackett, and me. Hmm. Patty Chayefsky won for. Um... I went for Network, and I believe uh, either he won, either he won for no. Uh, uh, it was an original screenplay. Yeah, so uh, he won for uh, uh, The Hospital. Right, right. You make no mention of Ingmar. You, you make a, a fleeting reference to Fellini, and you make a no reference to Ingmar Bergman. Are those guys not your cup of tea? I actually, uh, uh, I've discovered uh, uh, Fellini more or less in the last, like, I'm not discovered him. I've always known he's been out there. But I actually started giving myself over to Fellini in the uh, the last six years or so. And I, 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 don't, I don't care about him once he went to color. But I like his early black and white films. Amazing. Yeah. I like his early black and white films. Uh, Bergman, I've never really truly given. I've seen about four Bergman movies. But I think also I tried to watch him too when I was too young. And I just didn't get it. And I just thought it was boring. Um, yeah, I saw Fanny and Alexander when it came out. And it was fine. But it didn't do much Scenes from me. a marriage? No? No, I haven't seen Scenes from a marriage. All right. Really? Uh, yeah. But I, I'm I, shocked. Oddly enough, one of the movies that I... Well, now's not the time to watch something that I'm happy in my marriage. So watch something like Scenes from a Marriage. <laughs> You'll be divorced if you watch <laughs> <Yeah>. that film. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, I actually am a fan of uh, a movie of his that everyone uh, uh, shits on. Is that English language movie he did with David Carradine and Lee Ullman, uh, The Serpent's Egg. That's actually... It's kind of a horror film. And it's a pretty good horror film. That's kind of your genius, too, which I think you do get credit for, but maybe not enough. I mean, the whole idea that, you know, reviving Travolta. I mean, we've yeah. all talked about this. And David Carradine, the guy who played Kung Fu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the putting him in Kill Bill. I mean, that really is a stroke of genius. Now, the studio on never wanted Travolta. 
Mm-hmm. Um, no. that, that, that was Harvey, right? Yeah, 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 they didn't yeah, want, yeah. Speaking of Harvey, mm-hmm. I was thinking about you. It's, it's such a, um, a horrible story, of course, but it's gotta suck because here's a guy who was a, a great recognizer of your talent. Yeah, yeah. A great believer in your talent. And then, uh, Harvey Weinstein we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It, you know, he has this whole rape trial and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost inconceivable, right? The yeah, guy yeah. you knew from this guy and it's got to suck yeah because you know you want to praise him for for being so insightful and understanding your work yeah it's yeah it's just it's sad it's unfortunate it's tragic it's almost shakespearean in its own weird way it's like i'm a supporting character in some weird Macbeth meets king lear story right yeah it is weird. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, a great idea for a movie. Yeah, in a right, weird way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what movie well, that in a would sense, be. It's like being, you know, he was a devil mm-hmm. to everybody, yeah. but he liked you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. Well, I don't That's think a great he was a devil to everybody. All <laughs> well, right. I'm saying, no. like in a, long, in a lot of <laughs> yeah. ways. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he actually had a lot of friends. They all scattered like cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ma- rightly so, I guess. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, you can't argue with that. When, you know, when I, when I, uh, when I was, uh, uh, with your book, you talk about one of the early movies that you saw that really got you and turned you on to filmmaking. And it's two of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Joe, the movie yeah. Joe, and the movie Where's Papa? Right. Yeah. That movie Where's Papa? I went to Boston University for four years. You know, that movie played in a movie theater in Boston. Uh huh. For four years straight, every day, and the movie theater made money. Where's oh, Papa? That's good. Can that, you, can those you are the days. That? Those are the days. Yeah. yeah. Does that break your heart that those days are over? I mean, I, I kind of am nostalgic for the old radio. I would not want to go into radio now, and I bet you say the same thing of directing. Oh, you, you would not want to go into yeah. it today. The whole business has changed. It's, 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 it's unrecognizable <laughs> to right what could you ever what predicted we si- this to, to what we signed up for yeah right and that's a big thing is like whoa 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 this is not what i signed up for this is i'm not here to work for diminishing returns yeah what's the assessment i mean if you're sitting and writing a new movie now mm-hmm. and i know you're always thinking of a movie mm-hmm. you kind of be wondering well what the fuck do i do with it do i stick it on netflix can i put it in theaters what am i gonna do yeah, I'm going to make one more movie, but the thing is, I, I'm not in any hurry right now to write a screenplay for a, a motion picture. And because as far as what does that even mean? What is, what is a movie today? Is right. it some, is it just some content on a streaming, streaming service? Right. Is that what it is? Did I do everything just to do that for my last movie? Uh, now, I don't know what the answer is, and I don't think anybody else does. I think exactly what will happen with movies is will remain to be seen. Uh, and I would like to know what it, what, what it is before I do uh, the next one. When Scorsese came out and he said, I don't think these uh, superhero movies are cinema. Mm. I, I mean, I don't know where you stand with that. I'm curious. I kind of felt like, well, that, that's kind of an elitist attitude. I mean, Scorsese is certainly one of the greatest filmmakers of mm-hmm. all time. I worship the guy's movies, but I mean, it is cinema. I mean, yeah. is it not? Well, okay. Again, it's like 
he's an old man. You think Scorsese is going to be into Ant-Man versus the Wasp? <laughs> Why not? But he's not going to be, all right? I don't, I don't think he would have been that into that at 37. Forget about however right. fucking old he is now, all right? That's just not his thing. I mean, even, even me, when it comes to... I mean, I used to collect Marvel comic books. I loved Marvel comic books. And, um, you know, if all this shit was coming out in 86 i would be all down with it you know they waited till i got too old all right you know for me to be so into it but i think it's it's you know it's more about the fact i mean i ended up talking to a kid just if you're listening brandon i'm talking about you i met a kid i'd never met before at a at a party the other day and he started a conversation with me and uh, he asked me about what I felt about superhero movies. And I know this kid is like, I don't know how old he is. Maybe he's six, 16 or 17. Uh, maybe he's a little older. Um, but, you know, he's talking about how he saw the first Iron Man when he was four or five. Right. So to him, Marvel movies and DC movies are movies. Right. And there's been actually almost no competition to show him that there can be anything else. So going to the movies means going to see those movies. Right. And if it's not that, it's the Star Star Wars movies. And if it's not that, it's the Harry Potter movies. And if it's not that, it's the Transformer movies. So you don't feel any pressure in making another movie where you'd have to do lots of special effects and change your whole style of filmmaking. I mean, you're not going to. No, if I wanted to to do that, I would do that. But I've never really been a big uh, uh, um, do a bunch of special effects later kind of guy. I, I, I almost kind of I kind of come from the idea that if you didn't shoot it on the day, it doesn't count. Wow. Yeah, it's like, no, no, we're there with the crew, the actors, everything. What wasn't, no, we shot it on the day. We sent the film to the lab. It came back. It's done. Now, you can do little tiny things. But I'm very about um, uh, uh, practical effects. No, I work with makeup effects and I work with the animatronic effects or whatever. No, I have the uh, K&B. I have the best effects team in the world. And the idea is, no, they're going to create it and we're going to do it on stage. We're going to capture it on film, not give it to a bunch of uh, dweebs uh, to spend six months adding it in later. Can you look Could a guy start in porn? I'm not I don't mean an actor. I mean, could a guy start directing porn Mm -hmm. and work his way up as a director or are you tainted? No pun intended. Are you tainted in the business if you work in porn or is there something to be seen in pornography that could be learned for a director? (coughs) Well, I don't even know what porn is other than the shit you watch for five minutes and jerk off to and then that's out. Right. All right. Before they used to actually be porn movies that had you stories and blah, Well, lines. you mentioned like Linda Lovelace and, yeah, 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 uh, you, yeah. know, you know, all these things. Yeah, and there the was community. like Gerard Damiano and there was all these like porn directors and stuff. Um, I've never... I'm not aware, and, and if I'm not aware, this probably doesn't happen. All right. Uh, uh, I'm not aware of any um, director that specialized in true triple x porn that was able to graduate into studio filmmaking but there were a few guys that did porn who specialized in porn who were able to make exploitation movies 
Right. There was right. a couple of guys like that. Chuck Vincent was a guy who directed a whole lot of porn. And he also did his share of uh, exploitation movies. He did uh, 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 Hollywood Hot Tubs. He did a movie called uh, Summer Camp. He did a movie called uh, like a Saturday Night Live kind of thing called American Tickler. And then there was a guy, uh, Tom DeSimone who uh, uh, directed gay porn. And uh, he uh, later went on and directed the movie with Candace Ralston when she has the talking pussy uh, chatterbox. He later right. directed a, 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 um, Hell Night with uh, Linda Blair. And he directed uh, 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 Reform School Girls with Wendy O. Williams. So he was a right. He, I remember that. Yeah, he was a yeah. He, yeah, he was a uh, he was a gay porn director. And then and the guy who actually started gay porn in a big way was a guy named Joe Gage. And he did a film uh, called uh, 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 kind of real famous in that world. Uh, uh, Kansas City Trucking Company and El Paso Wrecking Crew and L.A. Tool and Die. And he it was sort of like the Russ Meyer of uh, uh, gay porn. Later, he I think he went by his real name, which is Tim Kincaid. And he made a whole shitload of movies for. Uh, 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 Empire Empire Pictures. Oh wow! Yeah, Russ Meyer was a big deal in yeah. Uh, sort yeah, of but he funny. never did. You know, he it was always soft X. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's amazing how much you know about film and yeah. even that. Okay, but and Ru- I guess- Russ Meyer is the one though. All right, because because of his skin flicks, but they were not explicit sex. It was skin flicks because right. of his uh, success. You know, Twentieth uh, uh, Century Fox brought him to Fox to do uh, Beneath the Valley of the Dolls. Right, which which was pretty good movie, right? A fucking a masterpiece. I, I love that movie. <laughs> it's a yeah. great movie, written by Roger Ebert. And that's right. And uh, what about uh, this guy who you mentioned who started gay porn? I was not aware of him, but he must have been a brave motherfucker because yeah, right. back then, if Joe you did a gay a good, porn, Joe Gage is a good director. Those movies are yeah. actually not bad. <laughs> well, you know what movie you 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 mentioned as a perfect type of movie was um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was I was interested in your book that you mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I think of that as like kind of a hacky movie. But no, oh, God, I I I mean uh, to go even further. I think it's I think it's maybe the the best independent movie of the 70s. You know, not wow. made for a studio, made by independent financers. I no, I think it's a it's a masterpiece. Are you friends with Steven Spielberg? Yeah, we're very friendly. I haven't seen him in a few years. I feel bad about that, but uh 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 we're very friendly. We every like 3 or 4 years we get together. I'll go over to his house or we'll go out and 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 have dinner and and then we just talk for hours and hours and hours on on end. Yeah, I, I went duck hunting. YouTube. I went duck hunting with him once. You're kidding! I can't see you <laughs> killing a duck and shooting. You shot the duck. I can't see yeah. either one of them out uh, there. And Steven Spielberg <laughs> is shooting ducks. Yeah, it was like uh, it, it was actually interesting. It was in '94. I guess it was '95 because it was the Oscars were coming up, and uh, and so I think John Mullius had got Steven and Robert Zemeckis into duck hunting, and <laughs> so. Uh, uh, Stephen called me up and goes, hey, Quentin, how would you like to uh, uh, go duck hunting with me and Bob Zemeckis and John Milius? I'm like, fuck yeah, I would love to do that. <laughs> I've never been duck hunting before, you know. And, and um, Had you fired a gun before? Did you yeah, know I, to, I had yeah, fired okay. a shotgun before. And I'll tell you, and I'll brag about myself in two seconds, but let me uh, finish this point. Uh, uh, um, so, and, and, but part of Stephen's idea was, one, I mean, I was this 
the new kid in town, and they were all really impressed with, with, with Pulp Fiction. But one of the things that Stephen wanted to do is, look, you and Bob Semeckis are going to be in competition the whole rest of this year with Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction. So before that competition starts, maybe it would be nice that we all go off and do something together. So we just kind of keep in mind that, you know, uh, uh, it, we're all artists and we're all friendly. What a nice thought. What a nice thing for him to do. It was very nice. It was very nice. And also, and like, you know, and, you know, obviously Spielberg's a hero, but like John Mullius has always been this incredible hero to me. And so, like, what do you want to do with John Mullius more than shoot ducks with a shotgun? Uh, very little, man. I mean, that's, right. that's what to do. And then, um, so Mullius, uh, you have to actually have a license to shoot a duck. All right. You know, uh, you have a hunting license. So, so I went with Mullius first to go and get my, my duck stamp. All right. And my <laughs> license and get the duck stamp for that year. And then, uh, then he took me to, uh, uh, um, uh, a club, a shooting club, shooting club and where they did, uh, um, uh, skeet shooting, you know, the clay, clay, clay things. Clay discs. Clay and, pigeons. Yeah, yeah, clay pigeons, yeah. And so I had done that when I was a kid. Uh, I had uh, a couple of uncles and a stepfather took me out to do that. And so, like, we did, we didn't do it all the time, but maybe we did it like three times or four times when I was fairly young, um, you know, mid age, I guess. And I, I was never good at anything the first time I did something. I was always, my whole thing was always, okay, I'm just going to be an ineffectual fucking idiot. But maybe after I get through humiliating myself, if there's anything there and I like it, maybe I can be a little bit better the next go around and a little bit better the next go around. For whatever reason, I was really good at, at skeet shooting. Wow. I was, it's not easy. Yeah, I was like, I just, I, I, not that I ever thought that I had good hand-eye coordination, but apparently I did when it came to that. I was, I was not the ineffectual idiot that I normally was. It's something I had never done before. I was actually pretty good. I mean, to the point that the adults were like, whoa, look at Quentin. Look at that, you know? Uh, but okay, but I hadn't done it in years. Years. I right. mean, like decades, a decade at least, 15 years, say, and if not more. So John takes me there and, uh, okay, so uh, here, uh, here, I want to get you used to using a shotgun, Quentin. This is John Mullius talking. I want to get you used to using a shotgun and here we go. Okay, so now he's got all his buddies. All of his, like, you know, uh, gun buddies are there and they all got cigars and big, it's cold, so they all have the puffy parkas and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, okay, Quentin, so uh, when you're ready, say pull, you know? And I'm like, mm, pull. Boom! I blow it out of the sky. <laughs> and then John just, ha, 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 the kids are natural. <laughs> that and is that great. might have been my, my proudest moment of my entire life. <laughs> yeah, fuck movies. John <laughs> Mullius bragging about me as if I'm his son in, in front of his cronies. Ha, 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 the kids are natural. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when you go uh, with Spielberg and, and the crew to a uh, duck hunt? I mean, uh, was it everything in Zemeckis? Was yeah, it, was I, got a, I, I got a duck. <laughs> you did? Yeah, I got did a Did you feel bad? I, I don't know. I, would, I could never kill a duck. I well, feel okay. terrible. It's an interesting thing. I had a whole conversation with myself uh, before I went. <laughs> And well, like, I'm going to eat the duck. All right. So, right. Okay. so if I have no problem eating a duck in a restaurant. I guess I have no problem Then I better have no problem killing a duck to eat it. You know, right. Uh, um, 
But <laughs> not having done anything like that and being caught up in my own liberal humanity, human, humanism bullshit, I, I, I uh, had a whole conversation with myself. Okay. I'll only shoot the duck if I know I can kill it. I don't want to, like, just wound the little fella and now he crashes and uh, the suffering and everything. I had that kind of thought. Right, right. Okay. Cut to now I'm in the blind and my blood's up and here they come and da-da-da. Okay. Two hours later... Fuck that shit. I'm trying to blow them all out of the sky. I fucking wing one, you know, like, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't bring you down, but you're fucked up, dude. <laughs> Some fucking wolf's gonna be eating you later tonight, buddy. You ain't, you got away, but you're not getting far. Well, Quentin, what a heady uh, trip to be hanging out with those directors and uh, doing, you know, doing manly things with them. I yeah. mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, well, yeah, it's well, unreal. And Spielberg said something that night, that, that day said something that uh, I hadn't heard anybody say it quite that way before and made everything seem a little realer. Um, I knew that when it came to you know, the Oscars for Best Original Screenplay that I was, uh, you know, we were probably uh, uh, you know, the, the most likely ones to win for Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Uh, at that time and Spielberg a little bit like Warren Beatty is also like you know uh, he prides himself on uh, understanding the business understanding how things are going to be understanding how it goes and so he's talking to me very pragmatically so we're walking through a forest or something and he's just you know he's right in front of me now I'm following behind him and he's like, so here's what's going to happen at the Oscars. And we haven't even been nominated yet. Okay, it's just going to happen. So here's what's going to happen at the Oscars. I don't think you're going to win the Oscar. I think it's going to be uh, Bob who's going to win Best Picture. And I think it's going to be Bob who's going to win uh, Best Director. In fact, I'm pretty sure of it. Uh, but I do think you will win uh, Best Original Screenplay. And then he stopped and then turned around and looked at me and goes, second movie? Little gold man, not too bad. <laughs> Started walking. <laughs> and by the way, that's another nice thing. Kind of like, you know, set your expectations a little mm-hmm. bit lower so you're not disappointed. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and if you don't get it. Yeah, you don't get all caught up in this whole, uh, you know, uh, covering the yeah. table kind of thing. Or, or how just easy it is to get caught up in a competition of something. But him just saying, second movie, little gold man, not too bad. I even, like this. Calling, even calling it the little gold man, all right? Yeah, was that's really, great. Was fucking great. <laughs> I think you should file that away and use that in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you have a book where you write, like, when someone says little gold man, do you say, oh, yeah, that's a good thing to remember. I'm going to put that in. Oh, like, that's how good. I always refer to it, the little gold man. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But, but, but Spielberg, is he... First of all, he sounds like a very generous guy he that he would even generous. arrange to have all these people together. But yeah. uh, is he the greatest of all time in your estimation as a director or are you the greatest of all time because you write your films and direct them uh you know you know what i mean i do i actually i do i i i do know what you mean i do i know exactly what you mean and (laughs) 
If he was a contemporary of mine, that would be how I would put myself above him. Uh, But Spielberg is the only director that does not need to write his own scripts. I I think if... um, I think if there was ever one human being in this world that was born to make movies, it's Steven Spielberg. But when I talk about, like, we know in football, Tom Brady might be the greatest of all time. There's very little debate uh, among directors. And it's hard to say. I mean, you might say Coppola because of The Godfather. You don't, uh, I don't feel like. Yeah, it's not not about one movie. It's, I mean, it's. It's as if Spielberg didn't have to, it's almost as if Spielberg didn't have to learn anything. It was like he was born knowing how cinema works. He was born knowing how to direct. He was born knowing how to cut the images together. He was born knowing how to uh, uh, create effects. He was born knowing how to work comedy businesses into his pieces. He was born knowing how to entertain an audience. Uh, um, Is he a savant? In other words, you're saying that, in other words, there was very little learning process. Some people just know. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's just, uh, you know, if I was more religious, I would say, like, he had God's given gift, all right, to go and, 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 and make movies that he, he gave Spielberg that he didn't give anybody else. But I'm not religious, so I don't really think that, even though I do kind of think something like that, even though, so it's, not, even though it's not Santa Claus upstairs doing it. So when you're hanging out with a guy like that, can you talk to him about movies? Can you say to him, listen, I'm wondering uh, how you did this or that? Or is that considered gauche? In other words... Oh, no, I wouldn't uh, know. He would, he, I, I've never had to ask... Uh, no, I've never asked him about how he did this effect or that effect. But uh, uh, he's amazing to talk to uh, about movies because... Uh, I, I just remember we were... We were having a little conversation, and um, I, uh, I was bringing up to him, there's this Marlon Brando movie called uh, The Appaloosa, directed by Stephen J. Fury, and in it, uh, uh, John Saxon is his antagonist in the movie, and John Saxon plays this bandito, that's, uh, and uh, the, the, the whole movie is them going like this, and I think it's the only movie Brando ever did where another actor stole the movie. From Brandon, right. in, in the case of John Saxon. Now, John Saxon absolutely had the role to do it. He had the better role. And he, and he was all set up to steal the movie from him. But nevertheless, he, he still did it. Um, and so I brought that up to Spielberg. And like, you know, we're not talking about the most famous movie in the world. All right? And Spielberg goes, yeah, he was really good in that. Except his teeth were too white. Wow. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man, I want to suck your dick right now. That is just so right. That is just so fucking right on. You got it. You deserve a blowjob from me. That is so fucking right on. But I mean, the fact that I could just bring up a random movie from 1968 and then he he remembered that detail. You see, that's my point. Like you, 
you've got this memory for film that you can draw on mm -hmm. that the rest of it like i you know i love the movie splash let's say but i don't yeah. remember what the fuck happened in splash <laughs> i can't tell you but you could you you know spielberg can recall those oh, yeah. white teeth i brought up okay i, I brought up uh, uh uh the guns of the navarone uh with spielberg he proceeded to do that little speech that james robert justice does at the beginning of the guns of the navarone and what was the follow in the next 72 hours will become the legend of Navarone. <laughs> you see, that's there are guys, and you're one of them, that can pull that shit out. And that's why I think you guys are greats at what you do. Could you have put up with a guy like Brando in the sense that I know when you do a film, you've said, hey, I don't put up with any fucking nonsense. Mm -hmm. All right, if there's a mechanical error, okay. Yeah. But a human error, I will not put up with. None of the bullshit. When I'm making a movie, I mm -hmm. got to get this thing done. I'm on a budget. I got, you know, there's no nonsense on your side. You fired people who fuck around. Yeah, yeah. Brando was notoriously difficult. Mm -hmm. Would you have put up with him or would you say just fuck that? I could not put up with a Brando. As good an actor as he is. Yeah, uh... I would have had to have a good relationship with him. I, he would, I would have had to have felt, you know, he wanted to be there. He liked the story and he liked me. If it was that, this, uh, 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 uh He's a dick. He doesn't respect you. Uh, you got to do this. You can't talk to him. Uh, you guys can't stand each other. You're talking through ADs. No, I would have. I would have been like uh, uh, Kubrick. Kubrick was the original director on uh, uh, One Eye Jacks, and he walked off. Right, because he doesn't want to put up with it. In other words, no, you need to have that dialogue with your actor. I would, I would never put up with any actor like that. I would, I would walk off the picture. I would leave it to the studio to decide uh, 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 who stays, who goes. In other words, if Travolta had come in on Pulp Fiction and given you some, uh, giving you a hard time, you'd just say, "Listen, dude, I, 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 I wanted you to do this film, but I can't handle you." Yeah, no, I, I would. Well, you know, I had a certain, you know, at a. I have no problem firing people. <laughs> I right. have absolutely no problem firing people because it's like, no, we're all here to do this thing with me. You're all, you're all part of my team. And if you're not working, uh, uh, you know, if you're not working well with others, if, uh, if we're not getting along, if you're causing a problem, then you gotta go. And so, so that's happened to you on, I mean, you've been not, making not with, movies. Not, with, not so much, not so much with, not so much with actors, but like, I'll just, I'll give you, but I'll give you an example. It, it's like, uh, um, something I don't abide is actors being late you can't be late now look from time to time somebody oversleeps uh from time to time something happens and so they got their 20 minutes uh, uh past their call that can happen from time to time uh, uh i understand that but um you know but then there's like stories about like tom hardy being two or three hours late getting to set for uh fury road i don't know if that's true but that's what that's what I've heard. Uh, um, uh, if an actor was ever like disrespectfully that late, like they're disrespectful of our time, they're disrespectful of our day, and they just kind of show up like whatever they want, um, they probably show up. I would just have gone home. <laughs> right. I just go home. I just go home. I'd go home. And, uh, and I'm not going to sit there and have a big old fight with him. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to call the cops. I'll go home and I'm not coming back until the head of the studio has called me and told me it will never happen again. 
Wow. And, and thank God you do that, because if I'm an actor who's really abiding by the rules and taking my craft seriously, yeah. I don't want to see my director being bossed around by some diva who's going to be late. I, I mean, yeah. you're setting up an environment to make a great film. Exactly. And you need everyone on board. Yeah, and my, and my, you, and my, and my crew is down with me 100%. I, 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 just, I, I would never let an actor disrespect me and my crew in that type of way. In any what? kind of way. In any kind of way. Especially for you, because I think you've written the screenplay. Yeah, in yeah. other words, uh, you've got too much time invested in this thing. Mm -hmm. You're going all the way back to laying in a, in, a, in a pool, coming up with the idea, yeah. and racking your brain for this well, idea. Also, Some I know I would, also, I know I would win with the studio as right. well. All right. They're here to do a Quentin Tarantino movie. If they're lucky enough to get a big star okay well that's great but if the big star doesn't work out they do it with an unknown usually why are directors not allowed to tell actors how to do a scene in other words that's like the uh, i don't know anything about acting mm -hmm. but i've heard other actors say if a director comes up to me and starts telling me what to do i'm done i'm out i don't want to hear it no you no you well it, it, it's well, some actors actually like it, all right? But the thing about it is, you don't say, hey, do it like this. Da, 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 da. Or, right. you know, uh, uh, you, you want to bring it out of them. Right. You want to bring it out of them. So you try to create a, you know, if you want them to do that, you kind of create the situation where they can do that. And the thing about it is, if you create the right kind of situation and they're comfortable, then either they'll do that or they'll do something you hadn't thought about. Well, All that's right, like that's, when Jamie Foxx said on yeah. Django Unchained, he yeah, said, yeah. yeah, Quentin pulled me aside yeah, yeah. and said, you're a slave. Yeah, yeah, you right, can't yeah. be walking. You know, that's a famous story. Yeah, yeah. But you kind of gave him. Okay, but that's, a, that's an overall. That's an that's an overall. That's an overall thing. But as far as to like a, a as far as like a given scene now, you know, so I'm not going to give actors line readings per se or say, hey, you have to do it this way or that way um, uh, uh, at a certain point. If I'm not liking what they're doing, then I can start suggesting this and su suggesting that, uh, not giving the entire performance for them. But, uh, uh, and, you know, they, they usually respond. They're, they want something. They want, they, they, they want feedback, especially the actors that I'm working with. But also I'm lucky. I, I work with like the greatest actors of, of, of my time. Um, but, but like, uh, uh, you know, but the, the difference is this is look, there's a lot of funny lines. In my stuff. So right. in that case, I might go to an actor and say, okay, look, the joke is, ba-da-da, ba-boom. You're not getting See, the yeah, joke, yeah, maybe. You, you yeah. need to do the ba-boom. All right. And, right. and uh, every actor every actor wants to laugh. They want the laugh. Oh, okay. Oh, I get it. Oh, I see. Oh, I see what you mean now. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Right, right, right. I still, I'm, I'm still haunted by one thought, that you pitched a Star Trek movie to a studio. You had an idea for one. Yeah, yeah. And they never made it. I bet it would have been really cool to see you. They might the, still. I, I don't think I'm going to do it, but uh, they still might make it. They wrote a, a pretty good script. It's a great story. They should. They should do you it. You wrote they, the script. You wrote. Well, the, no, no. Uh, I came up with the idea. Oh, I see. And and then then we worked it out in a writer's room. Ah, All right. Okay. So we worked out the beats. Uh, and then uh, uh, the guy who wrote the Revenant went away and and wrote the script. And oh wow. If, I think Paramount should make it. It's a good script. I just I just decided not to do it, but I think Paramount should do it.
Am I, uh, is it too obvious when I go around, people say to me, what's the best movie ever made? And I go, The Godfather. Mm -hmm. You know, is it, but I really do feel it was a perfect movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, but is that cliched in your mind to say that or well do i do think well it, uh, uh there's nothing wrong with saying it it is a little cliche it's about uh, uh but it's like the way that you know uh for 40 years when people say what's the greatest movie they always said gone with the wind right <laughs> the godfather uh for new hollywood kind of took gone with the wind spot that that gone with the wind it had uh, uh since the 30s this book you wrote is, um, you know, it's a great triumph. First of all, I, I, I know that you wrote it. In yeah. other words, because you're a writer, mm -hmm. how long did it take you to write this book? Because it, it is a book of passion. It's, it's really all about your passion for film. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it kind of answers a lot of the questions about you as a director, mm -hmm. what you were thinking at the time. You know, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it would seem to me this must have really taken you a long time to flesh out and put this thing together it's no it's no joke well it, it's i've been wanting to write a cinema book for about 12 years so maybe i started writing another one a while ago and then that didn't quite work out then worked on another one a while ago and that didn't work out and there's probably a couple of and there is a couple of pieces from some of those earlier attempts that found their way into this but as far as like once i kind of figured out what i'm doing as far as this one is concerned it was about uh two years wow and you want to be careful when you write a cinema mm -hmm. book too because yeah. not everyone is as knowledgeable about mm -hmm. cinema yeah but at the same time though it, it's like look, i grew up reading cinema books and so um so if i'm reading andrew saris's american cinema because i rent i rent it from the uh uh the junior high school public, uh, the junior high school library in the school. Um, I take uh, Andrew Saris's book home. So when I'm reading that at 13, he's completely uh, talking over my head. I don't know right. what mise en scene means, and, and he's <laughs> he, he's he, he's describing the oeuvre of uh, Joseph von Sternberg versus this versus that. He's totally you know talking above my head. But the thing about it is, when I read cinema books when I was younger, I expected the person to know more than me. That's why I'm right. fucking reading the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but the, people do want to know your opinion because. Let's face it. You know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You've proven it. It is it is yeah. amazing the career that you've had. I oh. mean, do you pinch yourself sometimes because you know, to okay, if you put out one good movie or two good movies, yeah, all right. Well, good for you. You know how many bands put out one good song yeah, and they yeah, never yeah. can capture the magic again. Did did you, did you become superstitious in ways throughout your life? Did you start to think, "Oh, fuck. What's the magic?" I, maybe because I wore a pair of red socks or mm -hmm. I, you know, I brushed my teeth on the right side of my mouth first. Did you start to get so crazy about your career and climbing each mountain, so to speak? No, I was never. You, I, 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 no, I, I mean, look, I, I've been very, you know, my my interest has been in the individual movies and the filmography as a whole. And, and uh, but I were mean, you consumed by box office? Were you like, uh, no, oh, I was, this? no, I wasn't consumed by box office, but like when Grindhouse didn't do well, that was, uh, that, that, uh, 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 that kicked me in the balls a, a, a little bit because I'd kind of gotten used to, uh, you know, going, forging my own road and taking my audience with me. And then that was kind of a wake up call. They were like, ah, 
we're not going to go everywhere with you. All right, we have to. Uh, <laughs> In other words, you can get mad at your audience and say, guys, you always came with me no matter where I went. And now you're not coming with me. But did you ever yeah, figure out why yeah, they didn't come with you it on was, that one? It was just way too obscure. It was just way, way too obscure uh, uh, for them. Uh, if, uh, uh, if we had made it as a much, much smaller project, Right. You know, that could have, uh, that would have been, it would have cost much, much less. And then only a, a, a handful could, uh, had to go with us. That would have been, that would have been fine. But we were, but me and Robert were just very full of ourselves. We were very happy with the movie, but we were just very full of ourselves. And it just, people just didn't, people just didn't get it. Did you ever have an idea for a film that you never made? In other words, is there some idea floating around in Quentin Tarantino's head that was, it's good. But for some reason, you never sat down and wrote it. Is there a plot line or something? No, there's probably uh, uh, nothing that's immediately coming to mind right now. But I'm sure that, no, there's, there's, there's definitely some little plot lines. But that almost doesn't count because I need to start really working on something. Yeah, anybody can have right. a, a plot line idea. I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The book's great. I, I love what you wrote about Deliverance and Taxi Driver. So Deliverance is my um, favorite of the film pieces in the book, actually. Boy, what Deliverance is such a fucking monumental film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, wow. When 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 Ned Beatty, I mean, everyone knows when Ned yeah, yeah, Beatty yeah, yeah, gets, yeah. you know, right. gets humiliated, as you point yeah, out. Yeah, right on. Yeah. And you were a kid when you saw it, and you make the point. Yeah, you yeah. say, you know, you know, hey, I, yeah, didn't, like, know, I, I, I didn't, didn't know Ned Beatty was getting raped. You know, yeah, uh, did I know a dick was going in an ass? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> all right, no, but I knew he was being humiliated, and I was right. He was. Yeah. What a dark film. Oh, my God. And Taxi Driver. Maybe maybe that was De Niro's best performance. I, I don't know. So. I think so. You do? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Well, oh, that's why I, I love the book. That yes. I loved, you know, I fell in love with Robert De Niro when I saw Taxi Driver, right? Mm -hmm. And then I fell in love with him again in Jackie Brown. Oh, right on. Oh, there you oh, go. Oh, my All God. Right. Oh, my God. And you do that. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about Quentin's movies. You get surprised oh, by yeah. what these people you think you know can do. Oh, that's wonderful. And that is, again, what happened in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm -hmm. with Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio. Because first you remember that amazing uh, character that mm -hmm. DiCaprio does in Django Unchained. Yeah. And he's using all of his Hollywood bravado. <laughs> yeah. To bring that off. Mm -hmm. And then he's this insecure mess. <laughs> I like that you put a time in Hollywood. It I like you like, made the wow. I love you made the point about um, Harvey Keitel and Taxi Driver that uh, Harvey Harvey was a white pimp. Yeah, yeah. And yes. like, you know, and uh, originally it was written for a black guy. Yeah. And now, okay, by, by the way. I am critical of that, but I'm critical about the process of why they changed it to a white pimp. I'm not necessarily critical of the results because Har right. taxi driver without Harvey Cattell, what the fuck would that even be? Right. <laughs> Slay. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he killed it. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's the truth. That's a great book. I, I congratulate you. Quentin's book. Uh, and by the uh, way, thanks, Robin. That was really nice in what you said. Thanks oh, a lot. Oh, no, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in awe. You know, because I'll see things that I never expect in your films. Oh, thanks a lot. It's and always a surprise and a 
pleasant I, one. I, you know what? I, one last question before I let you out of here after 17 hours of interviewing you. <laughs> but how is your relationship with Brad Pitt? I remember when you came on our show and you told uh -huh. that great story about going to see Brad Pitt and you guys got high together. Uh -huh. And then, and then, like, that was news made everywhere. Remember? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, do yeah, you yeah. remember that? Yeah. yeah uh -huh. Was he angry with you after that or was he cool with it? Well, I think actually, uh, I think Brad thinks I'm a blabbermouth, all right, about that. And I'm actually not a blabbermouth. We had, I wasn't going to talk about that, but he made some reference to it at the, uh, uh, I believe it was, uh, the Cannes Film Festival, uh, a press conference. So right. he made some reference to it. So I thought it was okay to talk about. I think yeah. he forgot he made the reference. So he thinks I'm just a big mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really was no big deal. So you smoke some weed. No, it's I mean, not that, a big deal at all, especially now. I mean, it's really not now, a big deal, I mean, but it wasn't a big deal then, yeah. No, no. I mean, I felt awful, too, because I know, you know, you were like, oh, shit, this is... I, I was surprised it was making such big news, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Well, oh, I mean, man. but that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, it's almost like, oh, okay, what did we say here today that will, you know, be... <laughs> right. That will be taken out of context and there'll be like a thousand parasitic articles, right. uh, you know, <laughs> you, you from uh, uh, IndieWire to yeah. the fucking Times of India. <laughs> well, listen, the fact that you're going to give uh, Steven Spielberg a blowjob is probably already up on Daily Mail. I mean, <laughs> that's and, the next I didn't say murdering, I would. Murdering I ducks. said I, I, I could. <laughs> oh, I see. Good thing you clarified because uh, you blowing Steven Spielberg, that's that's that's, that's a movie. That's, that's news. news. That's, that's news. big news. That's news. And, and and as far as Brad Pitt goes, you did get him a Best Supporting Actor uh, yeah. uh, award for Once Upon a Time in yeah. Hollywood. No, no, so we, we've 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 uh, uh, we've got a we've got a very very good relationship. You patched it up. Oh, oh, you, <laughs> no, it was never a patch. It was it was, it was nothing to <laughs> patch. Need up. a patch. Didn't no, need nothing. Right. <laughs> he, I think he just takes in my mind. Okay, fucking guy. <laughs> Who is the greatest actor you ever worked with in one of your films? I put you on the spot. Nah, Come I'm on, not give no, me a name. I've worked with too many actors. Who, I've who turned you on so much? He said, "Jesus Christ, I, this is the greatest experience. The guy's a pro, or this woman's a pro. Knows her lines, comes in on time, and delivers this character better than what I imagined in my head." Well, hopefully they all do that. All right, right. you know, uh, the idea is, <clears throat> you know, the idea is supposedly is they're gonna. They're going to bring something that even I couldn't have imagined. Uh, you That's know? right. And then it's my job to create an environment so that can happen. Who is you know? the actor that does that for you? Well, okay, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to say uh, uh, this actor is better at that than anybody else, or this actress is better than at that than anybody else. But I will sort of kind of answer what you're saying uh, in a less baboom kind of way. Um, because I'll just think what, what, what came to my mind first when you said that. So I'll say, I don't know if it's the most, but it's the first thing that came to my mind when you said that. The, um, as far as doing one scene, right. watching an actor do one scene that I was really, I was shocked at how riveted I was, um, was uh, one of the takes we did in Django Unchained where we're kind of around the, the, the dinner table and that whole little 
battle of wills is going on at the dinner table and leo is playing calvin candy um i've always made it a point to like my villains i've always liked my villains they all have their own they have their reasons you know and uh i've always have a lot of affection for my villains calvin candy was the one villain that i wrote that i didn't have affection for i thought he was a fucking monster cretin yeah and uh, uh a monster and um and i couldn't even believe that leo wanted to play the guy and um because i thought he was literally too excuse the expression black and white but leo just committed a 110 percent to it to the character so we're doing that scene and he's doing a he's doing one of his takes and he's doing a talk and all of a sudden, as I'm watching the scene, I was able to see the world from Calvin Candy's perspective. And I was watching it and I was like, well, of course he is the way he is. He never had a fucking chance. This is the world he was born into. He never had a fucking chance. It's like, you know, he comes from, uh, you know, he's the son of a plantation, you know, he's the He's the son of the, of a son of a plantation owner who's been surrounded by slaves his whole life. And his father has been surrounded by slaves his own life. It's like, can you blame a Borgia for being a Borgia? Well, the answer is yes, you can, but it's still a question. It's a question. And I, he made me realize that, oh, wow. I mean, Calvin Candy really never had a fucking chance. Wow. So in other words, Leonardo DiCaprio is so good he that he even found a way for you to like your he, villain. He captured the humanity of the guy trapped in this inhuman situation. He's some actor. He yeah. is something. Mm-hmm. Could you make Django Unchained today? I don't even think you could. Yeah, I could. You think you could? If I wrote Django Unchained, it's not like all the studios are going to say no. I don't know. <laughs> the political correctness now yeah, is Yeah, but they're not going to say no. No, no, they All just right. no, they just know. Well, well Jank, uh, Unchained came out. Not only was it a big smash. No, we had bad think pieces, but bad think pieces are actually good. That means your movie's about something. That means you're. That means that they're having a conversation about your movie. That means that you're part of the zeitgeist. Now you have to have the balls and the shoulders, all right, to handle those bad thing pieces and there's usually good reviews that go along with it and usually some uh uh, 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 uh positive thing pieces that come out but that's a conversation and now when it's over no one remembers those fucking pieces but they remember the conversation right all right here's a headline you ready mm-hmm. you're on a boat you're on with christoph waltz mm-hmm. and samuel l jackson uh-huh. the boat springs a leak <laughs> We got to save you because you're a great director. <laughs> One of those guys has to get off the boat in order to survive. Who do you who do you save and who do you kill? Samuel L. Jackson or Christoph Waltz? Now, now you'll make a headline. Go ahead. Um, I love both those guys. Yeah, you, you well, I, I I love both of them too. Uh, <laughs> but you got to save one. Um. I can definitely tell you Christoph Waltz will be the less cantankerous lifeboat companion. <laughs> right. So you would get along better with Christoph than Samuel. I'm not saying who I would save right. or not, but I right. can tell right. you who I would rather be in the lifeboat with. All right. Gotcha. So here's the people's headline. Quentin Tarantino makes news again. 
He would kill Samuel Jackson <laughs> and keep Christoph Waltz alive. He and, said, uh, he said Sam Jackson at Davy Jones's locker. <laughs> <laughs> the book, you got to check it out. Quentin's book. If you love this kind of conversation and you like hearing from the master himself, he's the guy who knows. Cinema speculation is available wherever books are sold. And he goes into great depth about film and, geez, all his own film. I mean, there's a lot to untangle there. I could interview you for another and nine Howard, hours. I was very impressed. This. It does sound like you uh, read some of the book. That was oh, yeah. very impressive. I haven't finished yet either. Uh-huh. And uh, I am enjoying it. And Quentin's uh, The Video Archives podcast is on Stitcher or the SiriusXM app, where he goes into a lot of stuff about film. And there's so many films we didn't even talk about. We didn't talk about Jackie Brown. We didn't talk. We, this, you know. We skimmed what are you Jackie Brown. Do? We skimmed Jackie Brown. <laughs> we skimmed it. We, we kind of got there. But, uh, and he's, and now he's Jewish. He lives in Israel. He's, he speaks Hebrew. I didn't like a me. I did. I didn't convert. Are you going to convert? I didn't. Are you going to convert? No, I'm not going to convert. Right. Why not so, become oh. Jewish? <clears throat> Uh, well, you people, would be a great people, Jewish people man. Will say, people will say I'm already turning Jewish. All right, you right. Know, Do you uh, but celebrate? I'm not converting. Let, right. let me find out your I'm level gonna, of Jewishness. Oh, oh, I'm gonna, you know, oh, oh, I'm gonna join another religion that I don't believe in. No. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I have a friend who's Italian, and he married a Jewish woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, we always kid. I go, wow. I go, Pat, you're more Jewish than I am because he celebrates uh, Passover. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and does Quentin Tarantino celebrate Simchas Torah or uh, <laughs> any of the more obscure uh, Sukkot? Do you celebrate any of the obscure Jewish holidays? Well, because- I don't celebrate them, but I recognize them in uh, Israel because uh, everything stops. All right. During those right. Uh, yes. during those and you holidays. Had a, but, and, I, you had a, and you had to circumcise your son, I assume. Yeah, right? yeah but yes, I'm circumcised absolutely. anyway. So I don't even think that's everybody knows thing. that. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> but but yeah. I uh, uh, no, but like, but, but you know, but there's some things that I really, really like. I really like. I like Shabbat dinner. Right, it's a great tradition. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't recognize Shabbat as oh, I'm not going to go anywhere or do anything. All right, but I, I love uh, um, the idea of a Shabbat dinner, and you get together with your family and and have dinner. I would. I've, uh, uh, that would be lovely if we could keep that going with the kids when they're like, you know, teenagers, if they still come down to the parents' house on Friday and have dinner with us. That would, that would be a dream. Are you going to raise the kids Jewish? Well, well they're, they're raised to be, uh, uh, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be raised for sure in the, in the, uh, in, in the Jewish tradition. But no, we celebrate, you know, but we celebrate Christmas and, and Hanukkah. There'll be, there a, there'll be a, there'll be a Hanukkah, uh, menorah in the house and, uh, maybe a Hanukkah bush, but definitely a Christmas tree as well. Will there be a bar mitzvah for you? Oh son? yeah, for sure. Oh, we know that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'd want to do bar mitzvahs for my kid, even if I wasn't married to an Israeli. Those are cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, for those of you who don't know this, throughout the interview, Quentin has been eating pickled herring and gefilte fish. <laughs> this is how Jewish he's become, which is so great. Listen, you've said it all and you've done it all now with your book. And, uh, who knows what else and who knows when I'll see you again. Mm-hmm. But wait but, a minute. There's one thing because, you know, Steven Spielberg has made more than 10 films, right? Yes. That's true. You're still t- sticking to the 10? Yes. For a lot of the reasons that Howard uh, landed earlier about, oh, okay, they kind of, they're a little old now, they're a little out of touch, they're a little this. That happens to so many directors. Well, it's not uh-huh. going to happen to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, 
I understand that. Would you do that. something else, though? Would oh no, you... I could. Def- I could. No, I could absolutely do something. Else. Look, I, you know, I could do a TV show. That's a different story. Oh, I could okay. do. Uh, I, I could. I could. I could write or write and direct a play. That's a different story. You I know? could see you doing a one of these series, like coming up with a story and doing like a ten episode yeah, thing. I, I don't could, know what it'd be. No, I, I could, could see no, that. No, that, that that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. That's a different. Okay. That's a, that, All right. That's something different. Yeah. Quinn, who are the best music? Who are the top five musicians? You, because you're so musically oriented and you get a lot of your movie ideas from the music. Mm-hmm. Who are your top five musicians? If you're, if you had to pull out your vinyl right now, who are the top five? Oh, wow. That's kind of tough. Um, who do you listen to the most? Well, I guess my favorite, I guess my favorite singer songwriter is, uh, uh, Bob Dylan. I think so. It starts with Bob Dylan. And then, um, yeah, but then, like, you know, I also, uh, uh, uh. Do you ever try to put a Bob Dylan uh, song in your movies? N- not for, uh, uh, no, I, uh, no, I, I never have. Uh, nothing seemed, uh, if I was going to do that, it had to, it would have to be right, and nothing just really ever presented itself that way. Uh, I guess, you know, uh, off, you know, literally off the top of my head, I guess it would be Bob Dylan, uh, Johnny Cash, uh, Stevie Wonder, uh, and, uh, so I really like the rockabilly guys. All right. You know, so, uh, 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 either Sun Records, Elvis or, uh, wow. Eddie Cochran or somebody like that. No Beatles, no Stones. Interesting. No Beatles. Wow. No. Nope. Well, you're in big trouble because I asked you as a trick question. The headline is Quentin Tarantino does not pick his own father-in-law. It's Viv <laughs> Pick as a, uh, <laughs> singer uh it's gonna be headlines. he's actually he's actually terrific but i did not grow up with his music <laughs> understood understood well listen quentin thank you for being so generous with your time everyone was really looking forward to you coming in oh and I, was, um, I was i was so happy to come i was so happy to be here with you guys again and i, I and i don't know why it hadn't worked out before but I'm, uh, I'm 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 glad it worked out this time i'm glad you're here uh thank you and uh you know what i always say about quentin the most successful video store clerk of all time of all time there's not one that i i know one guy who came close but not not as not as big as quentin tarantino quentin's book cinema speculation it's available wherever books are sold and here quentin's the video archives podcast on stitcher or the sirius xm app thanks great seeing you quentin. hey thanks great for seeing doing you this. too and you too Feel robin good. thanks a bunch it's a pleasure always uh, you know, she loves you, man. You could have, you know, there could have been something there, but you. I, I, I snoozed, easily. I lost. Yeah, exactly. All right, Quentin, thanks. Bye bye, guys. Bye. bye. Quentin Tarantino. He's probably got to go pish. I kept him locked up for two hours talking about film. And there's a guy who Boy, knows what he's talking about. That was a great conversation about making movies. Yeah, well, you and I, uh, we're too busy to make movies. You're busy fasting, and I'm busy uh, staring at a wall. So. What can you do? We made one movie. At least we made one. Yes, I thought, uh, we did that. Got that out of see, the way. We haven't cured of, any illnesses. We keep saying we're going to cure something. I haven't seen any mention of private parts in that book so far, but I haven't finished it oh. yet. So we'll see. Tomorrow, Neil Young will be with us. Uh, Sunday, yes. November 27th, 10 p.m. The Howard Stern interview. Bruce Springsteen on HBO and HBO Max. And uh, it is so great. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Quit. Oh, shit. I'm trying to get Who's out of here. Yeah. Oh, it's George Lucas, the famous director of oh. Star Wars. Hey, hey, George, how are you? It was an excellent interview, Howard. I just wanted to say 
I heard that Quentin was, you know, quite enamored with Steven Spielberg, but did you ask him anything about Star Wars? You know, maybe he'd be interested no. in slobbering all over my lightsaber, you know? <laughs> oh, you want to blow it up. Well, you know, listen, he said he'd blow, uh, he, he almost considered blowing uh, Steven Spielberg. Well, he that. said he owed him one anyway. <laughs> hey, there you go. All right. Thank you. I just Thank trimmed you. my balls with R2D2. All right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.